Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Think you can't get better value? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Tote Plus at tote.co.uk. Welcome to the show. It's Emmett alongside the legend that is and Racing Post Naps Champion 2020 and a man who is legit on fire because he is banging in the winners left, right and centre. It is bombs everywhere. For Mr. Roy Delargy. Uh, hello. You look. You are legitimately on fire. It's ridiculous. Not, uh, not literally. No, no. Li- this is this is why the dictionary had to be changed because Jamie Redknapp kept saying his foot is literally, literally on fire. Literally. <laughs> literally. So they changed well, not the. Not the racing horse table, I'm afraid. I, well, I yeah. I managed to find a um, uh, steady stream of non-runners. Well, you know, that was, that's the old, um, that's an old Final Furlong podcast trick. It's been played in the past. Uh, but no, on your Sporting Life column, uh, yourself and uh, Mr. Massey have been banging yeah, in the winners. Let's be blunt. Absolutely awful July, which I think, in fairness, I think a lot of people that are in awful July are speaking to, uh, uh, to Andy Holding, who's normally Mr. Reliability when it comes to this. He's a legend. Odds checker legend, yeah. Worst July in ages, he had to draw stumps for a while so it's always nice whenever you're having a terrible time to find out that um you're not alone uh it's a lot nicer not to have a terrible time but august has started um has started quite well and uh, uh myself and mr massey have been uh i've been in in uh, in reasonable nick so you've been in gravy you've been in clover so check out their column sportinglife.com you'll find it there uh rory also writes for the irish field and of course you can hear him here on the Final Furlong podcast. And uh, Roy's going to be on next Monday's show as we review the action as well. Or I think we're doing that on Sunday, actually, aren't we? Yeah, we've changed it. Sorry, I'm breaking down the fourth wall again because we're not far away from York. But as we review the weekend's action, and I literally was watching all of this back yesterday because I got to be away. It was lovely. It was great to be out with friends. And uh, thanks to all of you who commented on Twitter about my sunglasses going skiing. You bastards. <laughs> They're stylish sunglasses, how dare you? They might have been a bit over the top, but hey, you know, bringing the style. What can I say? Ralph, if Ralph sends them, what can I do? I've got to wear them. But it was great to be and about, and uh, shout out to all the crew in uh, Clarny, the Muck Ross, uh, Riley's Pub. Brilliant, brilliant place, and um, we'll definitely be heading down there again. It's just first proper getaway since COVID, and congratulations to Ger and Paula on a brilliant wedding. And um, I know a wonderful life together. Great to see my best friend having such a, a brilliant, brilliant few days. Deauville. So I watched this back yesterday. The pre-Maurice de Geest uh, starman beaten by uh, Mariana Foot. I got it right? Yeah. Trebeau is a horse that we talked about a good bit last year with uh, Laurent, who I think is back on the show soon, uh, I believe. Good old Brando ran a fine race. What was your overall thoughts on this year's Primoris Diggies? Because a lot of people will be looking at the likes of Glenn Shield underperforming, uh, Thunder Moon, it looked as though he was coming back, bombs. 
And the big story of the race, I suppose, you can't get away from, is the favorite, Campanelle and Frankie Dettori. And Frankie has, she big big story, she hit me in the face and I was a bit dazed. Uh, well, it, wasn't, it wasn't picked up in commentary. The commentator seemed to think it was a brilliant um, start, but she reared up or, or bucks almost as the stalls opened. Uh, Frankie looked like he might be unseated. And then as he's trying to regain his balance, her head's come up and, uh, and seemed to catch him. Um, but she was she was out of it from a from a, a pretty early stage. She showed speed. Just to clarify, did she smash him in the face? I thought so. He's done well to stay on, then, hasn't he? He did. Yeah. Last I said, he, you know, the, 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 the thing that I noticed straight out of the stalls, I thought, oh, he's almost, he's definitely got unbalanced and almost unseated. I couldn't see immediately why it was. You know, unless you're looking at a, at a specific horse at the start of a race, um, you can miss what was causing that. And with her, it was the fact that she's she's um, gone up in the air. Um, yeah, she looked a bit like a like a bucking bronco, briefly, just just in the stalls. Once she came out, she was okay. But they ended up on the far side of the track, um, which you know looked like a deliberate move by Frankie, but I don't think it was. Um, I think it was just a case of you know she was in control uh, in the early stages, and as Frankie said, um, he said he was a bit stunned or, or um, you know whatever whatever mm. uh, phrase he used. Um, and, um, you know, that, that probably wasn't the place to be anyway, but, you know, she, she was, um, she, she was doing her own thing and he was, um, he wasn't really in control of her. Um, and so as a result, she's run, she's run poorly, but she was spared a hard race. That's the one, the one positive. This was just a bit of a write-off for her. Um, although whether she had the chance to mark a suggested pre-race, I'm not entirely sure, but, um, yeah, so it was a, a funny old contest because, you know, Trobo, as you said, we talked about her early last season. She went off favourite for the um, uh, for the Pouliche. Yeah, the French one thousand guineas. Yeah, but she's not really she's not really um, developed, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and she hasn't she hasn't quite uh, she you know she's not really um, established herself as a um, as a sprinter either. But again, the Morris de Guise is, a, is an interesting race in that it's six and a half furlongs. Mm. Um, and a few of the sprinters just found it a bit too far for them. And the impression that I got on the day was two issues to, to, to highlight here. Mariana Foot seems to be massively improved. Um, he's um, uh, he, he's won um, a shed load of races on the trot. Um, he's um, developed into a, um, a proper group one performer um, where he was, you know, he was sort of listed class. Um, well, it, it, that's a bit harsh. No, he, I, he, he no I think you're right. Too early in his career, but you know, he was he was found out in in in, um, in was, Group One company. That was his level. Yeah, yeah. But he's um, he he's really um, upped his game. Um, he'd um, he'd come into this race. Uh, on the back of wins in the uh, the Prix de Palais Royal and the Prix de la Porte Mayo um, over seven furlongs at, uh, at Longchamp, both Group Threes, um, and I suppose you could argue that you know you dig through this race and you say that hasn't that hasn't really run up to form, that hasn't run up to form. You know, if you if you measure him through a horse like Brando, for example, um, then it wasn't a massive step forward. Um, but yeah, he, he keeps running his race, and that's the that's half the issue with the sprinters uh, that we have at the moment is that on their day, lots of horses are very good, but it, it always seems to be the, the way with sprinters. Even Batash, 
um, need to th have things um, in their favour to show their very best form. Um, and Starman maybe find the ground a little bit too soft for him, although it's worth pointing out that although the advanced going description for this meeting was, was très souple, very soft, mm -hmm. um, they now work with turf tracks, and turf tracks reckoned the going um, for the last few furlongs of the straight course was good. So it wasn't that bad, although by the time they ran the race, it had started raining. So I know that Ed Walker thought the ground, you know, the rain had got into the ground a little bit for Starman. But for me, the, the biggest issue with him in this race was that he was outstayed um, by two horses who stayed, who stayed seven furlongs well. Um, and he really wants six. I thought he travelled okay through the race, travelled very comfortably. When he was asked to pick up, he did so immediately without, without showing an electric turn of foot. And then the last furlong was a long one for him and he got picked up by uh, uh, reasonably easily by, by Mariana Foot. Uh, and Trouble's done really well to, to finish second from where she was, given that she was essentially on the wrong side of the track. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she was... Her Betfair SP, Trouble, for a horse who started favourite for the uh, for the police last year was 440. <laughs> which is something else. Wow. Um, and you could have backed you could have backed her at 66 to 1 to be placed Jeez. on the machine. Um but yeah she hadn't she she'd had a, a few pretty moderate runs. Um but she was suited by the way this race was run um by the combination of, of um speed and stamina needed for it as well. Uh, whereas I, th I think that was the undoing of Starman. Brando's run very well in this race before. It does suit him because his big issue in, in the top six furlong events is that he, he can miss it at the start. So his chance of winning um, the big group one sprints has always been compromised. And it's a funny horse in that if he ever does get away on terms, he doesn't seem to give his running. Um, so he's um, he was unlucky not to finish um, second here. I think beaten ahead by Starman for third, but... If he'd um, if he hadn't just got uh, checked in his run um, with about a furlong to go, I think he would have been he would have been second on his own. He ran very well in the he made up a lot of ground in the last furlong of the July Cup, um, uh, and he was better than the bare result there. But he's probably run a similar race. That's the thing. You know, he's obviously um, uh, he's made up a lot of ground on Starman, but I, I think it's fair to say that Starman hasn't run to the same level as he did uh, when winning at Newmarket and his finishing effort in the July Cup was remarkable from where he came from. But Brando did the same running as a Starman did. He just did it from from um, from further back and later in the race. And the step up to six and a half, as has been the case before, has suited him. Uh, he's the kind of horse who, again, could get placed in the um, in the British champion sprint at Ascot because that ends up being a bit more of a test of stamina than most of these six furlong events. Um, it probably wasn't soft enough for Kinross. The ground was kicking uh, up. The turf was kicking up. Yeah, but that's that. This is this is a massive mistake people make. They see divots being kicked up, and they think that's that's soft ground. When it's really soft, you don't see any divots. Mm. You can't kick them up. You know, it's when when you get rain on top of quickish ground, that's because when it, you see divots. It's stuck in the ground. Yeah. Mm. So you know, you watch you watch really heavy ground. You go, oh no, divots there. It doesn't look that soft to me, but that's because you know, they're they're just pulling themselves out of the ground. Um, so, listen, I, I would I would call it good to soft ground. Uh, from what I saw of it from, from the previous description, the fact that it was a little bit of rain before the race. Kinross at six at six and a half would probably want it softer. Um, he's been very good, again, over, over um, seven this season. Um, again, he's another one who, who they might want to run in the um, 
uh, in the British Champion Sprint over a stiff six at Ascot because um, the ground is liable to be pretty soft there as well as it has been for, for recent years. And he's, um, you know, again, his, his, his previous um, couple of runs were, were slightly better than this on paper. Um, and he just seems to be a much more reliable horse since they had him cut. Yeah. Um, at the season. So there's, there's still hope for Ken Ross. Funny that, old contest. That gelding um, operation made, made a big difference to him. Um, yes. Yeah, ju- just before we talk about uh, Brando, who's run a, a massive race, will we hear our, our um, colleagues in France and uh, how the, the commentator handled the, the start of this? I actually haven't heard this yet. It's just Tuala sent it to me. So do you want, do you want to hear the French commentary? And how uh, they reacted to Frankie getting nutted in the face. Okay. Here we go. Et il s'élance à l'instant pour le deuxième groupe 1 du meeting, l'arc prié Maurice de Guest avec un petit coup de théâtre en partant puisque la grande favorite Campanelle, le numéro 12, c'est Cabré, a failli éjecter Francky Lettori, mais se rapproche maintenant à l'extérieur du peloton et va emmener le numéro 10, Thunder Moon, qui a plongé dans son dos. Pendant ce temps, so I was expecting like a sacré bleu <laughs> Francky Lettori oh! uh, But no, not, nothing quite like that. Uh, it was a bizarre race to watch and... Um, the whole thing with, with Frankie, obviously, I mean, that's her race gone. Um, Wesley's going to be bringing over Golden Pal for the Coolmore Nunthorpe Stakes, uh, owned by the lads. Um, and uh, she'll have, obviously have a, a, another big chance to, to prove herself. She's only three, and uh, there'll be a, another, another day for her. What about the winner? So where does Mariana Foot go next? Is there a possibility that he comes over to the UK and tries to back up this form? Well, he's he's got um, he's got good form at up to a mile. Um, he doesn't want to be dropping back any any more than uh, than this. And I don't think I'm not the the um, the sprint cup at Haydock is not um, uh, maybe not quite as as attractive to the French as it used to be. Um, mm. British Champions Day, perhaps, but I think they'll be happy enough to stay in France with him. Yeah, they can go for the uh, really. Um, and um, Prix de la Forêt would be the obvious race for him. That was the race I was thinking of, yeah. You know, now because he's he's now uh won a group one um this season, so he'd be penalized um in lower grades, so it, it's you'd keep him to um uh to group one races. So you could go to um, you could go to Ascot, that's reasonable enough. But then again, that, that's that's fairly close to our weekend as well. So, yeah. uh, you know, he's had a pretty busy season as well. You know, he was he was on the go, um, you know, uh, in December mm-hmm. uh, last year, sort of the old weather season at uh, uh, in the, the south of France, and he's not had any significant breaks. So, the only one to the only break he's on. had is is June. They gave they gave him the month of June off, but he's raced every other month. This year, yeah, and um, in saying he's had June off, he raced on the uh, the thirtieth of May and the first of July, yeah. so literally one just, just the month of June. Um, but he's thriving on it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit it's a bit parochial of us to start talking about whether we might see him over there when he's been winning more prize money in France than he would in Britain anyway. So well, that's a good point. That's a very good no, point. There's no real reason other than other than uh, you know British Champions Day itself. Uh, for him to to have to um, up sticks, really. So, does everybody else come out of this and just think, 
well, we, we, we've got excuses. Uh, you know, can Joseph O'Brien say, oh, well, uh, my, my jockey followed Frankie because he thought that was the right thing to do and it just didn't work. Um, and uh, because he'd, he'd got close to law of indices. Then again, law of indices is pretty well held here as well. So maybe that just tells you the level of, of them. Glenn Shield clearly hasn't run his race. Um, good old Brando, though. Jeez, age of nine, he's still, he's still doing it for the connections. He's a legend. Yeah, listen. The one, the one thing I'd say about the race, in in retrospect, there's there's no uh, uh, no sectionals available uh, at this stage. Mm. But it's worth pointing out that um, that horses who've got, you know, Glen Shield was well beaten, finished tenth here, having made the running. Um, the uh, the winner was uh, gets the comment weighted with Trobo weighted with um, Starman. Obviously, was was favourite and was actually below form in the end. And Brando, who's who's run above himself, held up. So, you know, the horses who, who did uh, particularly well here were coming from a little bit further off the pace. So there must be a chance that they've gone a little bit too hard in the conditions. Um, you know, the only problem we have with that is that, is that Ocean, who's a big outsider, um, he did plenty of running um, at the head of the main group and, and wasn't beaten that far in sixth. But generally speaking, the horses who were held up have done better than those who raced on the pace. So you've got to always bear that in mind. So what next for Starman and um, Campanelle? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure what Wesley Ward has said about, uh, about uh, Campanelle. Starman, again, it's all about the grind for him. You know, Ed, Ed Walker even said that the grind was too soft from here. Every time he's run on soft grind, he's disappointed. Um, and pretty much the quicker, the better for him. So... The, the, the issue that Starman has is that races like the, the Sprint Cup and the British Champion Sprints are far from ideal for him. Um, but um, he, he would he makes a, a plenty of appeal um, globetrotting. And I would have thought they'd be thinking about heading out to, um, to Hong Kong um, later in the season. Hell of a lot of prize money there. Um, guaranteed to get his conditions. I, I'd have thought, in fact, I would have thought there'd be there'd be an awful lot of uh, um, there'd be an awful lot of money uh, queuing up to buy him to race him in Hong Kong if that was um, if that's what David Ward wanted to do. Jeez, he'd be he'd be clipped, be a gelding to race over in Hong Kong. Um, well, you know, because that's that's what they do. Be in, uh, any chance of him being a stallion would be over. I. Simon, I can't take any credit for this. It was uh, Simon Holt who broke this news on the Final Forum podcast that the connections of Starman had been approached by the Australians for the Everest. I know it's a lot of money to go in there, but if you're backed by somebody who then wants to stand your horse at stud and they happen to have uh, a stall already purchased and they just need a runner, maybe an agreement can be made and that's worth what is it, $5 billion Australian dollars? It's worth an absolute fortune. Yeah, and it's an interesting one. Um, and he'd be better suited to a lot. It's, um, we haven't done, haven't done particularly well sending sprinters um, down to Australia no. over the years. I haven't been that many. It's mostly, you know, it's been European stayers who've dominated and going over there. But yeah, listen, he's a horse he wants fast grind. Um, and you know, if, if, if his trainer genuinely believes that grind on the, just on the soft side of good is too soft for him, then, you know, you've got to be, 
you you basically have to be planning around a winter campaign overseas. Yeah. You know, the, his, the races he's in, he's in the city of York Sticks um, next week at, at uh, York. That seems very unlikely. No. Uh, and then he's in the Sprint Cup and the and the um, British Champion Sprints. But those both those races traditionally run on very soft ground. So you're immediately going, right, well, our domestic campaign has, has gone tits up. Uh, where to go? So Australia must must make plenty of appeal. As I said, Hong Kong makes appeal as well. Um, uh, British Cup? Yeah. No, it's really tough. Yeah, but that's an obvious one as well. Delmar? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a really interesting show. British Cup Sprint? That'd be, um, that'd be worth it, wouldn't it? And it would be worth an awful lot of money as well. Uh, one of the reasons I bring this up is because the, the Bedford Sprint Cup is as you said, it's going to be run on soft ground, but he's favourite. So if you're looking at a horse like Dragon Symbol, who, um, okay, so we already know where what his next destination is, courtesy of uh, our good friend um, Oshin, who has been on fire, a bit like Roy Delargy, legit on fire recently. So he's he's going for the Nunthorpe. They they want to keep him to five. Um. And uh, that means a clash with Golden Pal, Soisa, uh, who, of course, was has beaten Dragon Symbol already. Um, but when you look at races then, like the where Dragon Symbol has entered for like the Bedford Spring Cup, where he's, uh, he's favorite for the non, he's second, third favorite for the Nunthorpe. He's uh, very heavily fancied, and he's favorite for the Bedford Spring Cup. Um, he's entered for the Curra for Irish Champions Weekend. That's probably going to be, well, it might not be actually. Uh, hard to know. And uh, as you say, British Champions Day is going to be soft. So international campaign. So it's just about, if you're looking at the anti-post markets, you can back something else and you can back something else with a reasonably, a reason, a reasonable degree of confidence that Dragon Symbol isn't going to be there and he's taking up a good chunk of the market. And also, if you're thinking about backing him, don't. Unless you can get a price for the Everest, in which case, go nuts. Or the Bridges Cup Tough Sprint. Because um, I think that's a really good shout from Rory. But uh, yeah, it was a fascinating race. Uh, the international theme continues because we're now off to Saratoga uh, for the Saratoga Derby. £390,000 won by Joseph O'Brien and Johnny Velasquez with State of Rest as the Derby favoured Bolshoi Ballet, who won the Belmont Derby on his last trip to the States, didn't really run his race and finished fourth. Um, and we have a French horse finishing second. So we've debated on the show about the strength of American turf form. And Naomi and Pete have been on, and they've both said, oh, American turf form is improving all of the time. Um, Roy Delargy, I present you with Exhibit A. <laughs> um, probably a slightly slightly unfortunate. Although this, this might just be a, a, a slightly weak time of the year. Um, I'm not I'm not an expert on the on the uh, um, on the US racing calendar, but um, obviously with the three year olds, um, the dirt performers are the uh, are the um, the flag bearers, mm-hmm. um, and most of the really good turf performers are older horses. Uh, and it's, it's not that easy to get your head around races like this. But then again, there's a, a lot of the time with top class turf performers in the States. Um, you know, a lot of those historically have come from Europe. 
um, you know, where they were where they were useful and have become superstars uh, in the States. Um, again, you know, talking about this from a, an historical European perspective. And a lot of the time, it's horses who are well suited by um, the, the track layouts and the likelihood of firm ground, um, which you don't, you just don't get, you know, mm. um, certainly in the UK these days or France these days. So if you've got a horse who happens to be well suited to it, you, it's easy to say, well, this can't have been much of a race. The, the Saratoga Derby was state of rest winning. All he's won is a maiden race. He was shown up um, as a, a two-year-old last year as being um, pretty useful, but, you know, Max Sweeney thrashed him. Um, even even Chief good. Little Hawk took him took him to Paris. That's 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 not exactly a great one for your CV. So um, yeah, so the obvious the obvious conclusion to that is this, this can't be a particularly strong race if he won, but he was impressive. Mm. And he looked very he looked very very well suited by uh, the nature of the race, um, and. When John Velasquez asked him to quicken, he quickened immediately. Um, and that, um, you know, that might mean that he's, you know, that he's essentially a better horse in a, in a US um, perspective than we ever thought he was here. The, the other thing is, of course, you know, um, his run at the Cura in June, you know, he's only beaten half a length at a listed race. That was his first run since October. So we've been entitled to one. Um, Entitled to be a little bit rusty there, and this is this was essentially his first proper race as a three-year-old. So there's also the the, the strong possibility that he's improved an awful lot. Mm. You know, we're, we're more than happy to believe that Bolshoi Bali was an absolute superstar. Um, oh, some were. We we weren't. Yeah. Well, depending on who you spoke to, or you spoke to, and of course, we, you know, we we were backing uh, against him. Uh, it's all about value at times, though, isn't it? <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we 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 seem to have a very good crop of European three-year-olds at the moment, um, and so it's interesting that the the front two here um, were both um, uh, because they're both European horses. Um, the the runner-up has been transferred um, to the states since his uh, since his last run, but you know, Soldier Rising was also beaten in listed company on his previous start. So as I said, it's easy to to wave a stick around and say. Here you go. Two horses who weren't good enough to win in listed races um, in Europe are now dominating uh, Grade One races in the States. But I don't think it's necessarily as easy as that. I think you just you've got to give them time. Um, I don't know what the plan is with with State of Rest, um, but I'd have thought, given that performance, I'd I'd be keeping them in the States. I'd be racing them there. Yeah. Um, and and obviously, as I said, Soldier Rising. Uh, left Andre Farben is, is now um, is now with Christoph Clement there, so you know he's going to stay uh, racing in the states. I, I thought Bolshoi Bali was disappointing though. So what did you? This is the the thing about about Bolshoi Bali. So he, he showed a great turn of foot to get himself out of trouble to win the last day in Belmont, but yeah. this time around he just seemed to be ugh, there's, just, there's just nothing there for. He just didn't do it. There was no. Well, uh, once you the press one, the, the accelerator, one thing I will say, I'll say about him. Obviously, he didn't run the same race. Yeah. Um, he had he had the jour back and forth um, in the Belmont Derby, and um, he's you, you can see from the results. 
um, that he's clearly clearly on below form with, with the Jure in front of him this time. Um, I think the key there is probably the going because he he got a perfect trip. He was ideally positioned, mm-hmm. and when he was asked to go, he he didn't let himself down. Um, and I would say um, that the firm turf was probably against him. You know, his he he not raced on ground as fast as that before. Um, he's always been racing on ground that was, you know, between good and heavy, even at Belmont. Belmont, um, I, I would say the going was good. Time form, um, you know, I measured it as good on the day. Um, and their reckoning was it was firm at Saratoga. So uh, good good ground at Belmont and, and firm at Saratoga are very different tests. Um, the, the track at Saratoga, obviously, very different from Belmont. Well, not very different, very different in American terms very similar on, on uh, European terms um, but a slightly a, a, a sharper test uh, than nine and a half furlongs at Saratoga and the firm ground you know again you look at a replay of that he's not um, he's not dropping away he's just he's just failing to pick up as others are quickening and I think he just couldn't quicken on firm ground it's like he was stuck in third gear he just couldn't yeah and I've, I've seen that I've seen that often enough with, with high class horses you know, a lot of horses do not like really, really fast ground. Um, so I would say you forgive him that. Um, he's not an obvious horse to to um, to campaign in the States, um, you know, as a full-time thing. Very good opportunities there. And, of course, it's interesting that Coolmore are, are focusing a lot more on um, uh, on foreign raids this season. Well, that, that was my next question to you. So Bolshoi Ballet was their only runner in the Derby. And obviously he, he didn't perform. So there's two there's two races now where he did pick up, pick up an injury that day, it must be said. But there's two races now where he, he hasn't performed. Uh, he, he was the big talking horse after the previous big talking horse kind of dropped away um, after being beaten in the Guineas. And I just wonder about the, the campaign that they're giving him now. Like, what, what does it tell you that Bolshoi Ballet is being sent over to America not once but twice? Um, we've had a, a massive team go over to France for the Grand Prix de Paris. They're always very supportive of that race. But they are doing a lot of international raids. And what, from what I hear, there's going to be more. Yeah, um, to me, it looks like they're focusing um, a lot more on um, on uh, the prestige of stakes racing and cash than on the, the kind of prestige that British racing thrives on. Yes, we know there's only 20 grand on offer for this group one, but it's all about prestige. Um, you Think know, of the prestige! Look at this lovely trophy you win. Uh, a group one at uh, Belmont Park remains a group one. It's you know it's it's not it's not the same as winning the Derby, which is why Bolshoi Bally was there for the Derby anyway. Um, but having a group one on your CV and also having the prize money that goes with that are all part of a business plan. So it's not a massive surprise. It's 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 a departure. Um, you know, if it it would be particularly newsworthy if we find that. Um, Coolmore stopped running horses in the Derby entirely, uh, but the fact that, that there's been a, a bigger, a much bigger focus um, on the French classics this year, which has never really been the case. Yeah, um, 
uh, in the past. And most of they've had plenty of runners, but it's always been that kind of a um, you know second string type affair. Well, a- Aiden, it's very clear that Aiden's top three year old is obviously St. Mark's Basilica. I saw obviously yeah. aside from Snowfall, uh, and they decided French two thousand guineas and French Derby, and that's the first time that Aiden has won the French Derby. Um, and we're going to see him in, in a week's time. Uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later on. But yeah, it is it is quite interesting that they've decided to head over to France. And maybe it's a message to to British racing that you can't keep doing this thing with prize money. Like if if a major if a major organization uh, and, and a major breeder slash racing empire like Coolmore decide. You know what? And Aidan O'Brien even spoke out last year when he, he ran peaceful in the Prix de Diane, the French Oaks. And he was asked about why are you not running peaceful alongside love in, in, the, in the Oaks? And he said, because the prize money is a joke. And Aidan O'Brien has never said anything like that before. He's never criticized prize money before. But he, but he came out and, and said that. And, um, you know, Aidan is, is first trainer to Coolmore, so it's a very different relationship he's not relying on the percentage of prize money um and james willoughby had a conversation about this on racing tv i want to say about two years ago and i think it was with lydia hislop and he was saying that there's there's a real in his mind he said there's a real danger that a lot of the people who buy like cadillac is a horse who ran in this in this race as well for jessica harrison and um didn't exactly perform very well having won first time out this season his point was, if you have a lot of owners who are businesswomen or businessmen, and they travel a lot, now obviously that's kind of shut down right now for COVID, but if that's the case, why would you not have your horse trained in the States where in a maiden special weight or uh, some grade one that happens to pop up, there's massive amounts of prize money and you probably have a better horse because yours is a European bred. And you send that horse over and you mop up prize money over there. And you might be there because you may be in America on business. Uh, you could be flying down to Australia and mopping up prize money down there. You could be flying to Hong Kong and mopping it. And that was his point. Like his point was that there's a real danger that that could happen uh, and that British racing is just allowing itself to sit there on the... I think Irish racing is is okay at the moment. I think Irish racing is holding its own, but British racing just seems to be sending out this message that, ah, well, it's the prestige. It's the prestige of these races, and think of it on your CV, and think of what it means to be at these glorious events. But in COVID times, Rory, you and I are stuck at home. You know, I'm I'm presenting on TalkSport on Thursday from this studio, no, I'm not in London. I'm doing it from this studio. It'll sound like I'm in London because it'll be over an ISDN line. That's the way the world is right now. And COVID has kind of sped that thing up. So I just wonder if Coolmore are, are looking at this and saying, right, we're still going to train from Tipperary. We're still going to have runners in Ireland and the UK. There's a lot of prize money out there, though. And there's a lot of races that are called great ones. And they look good in the CV. So go on. Let's go for those. Yeah, you know, there's no one, um, there's no denying it, and um, you know, you you've only got to look at the horses you'd expect to be seeing running in the UK. The the great thing is we're largely blind to it um, because we see horses, you know, um, 
running in races and assume that's the um, uh, that's the uh, the pool that we have to choose from in the first place. But you know, there are plenty of horses with with um, um, half brothers and full brothers and full sisters to to horses who've done very well here, whose owners prefer to have them trained in France these days. Um, you know, and, and uh, similarly, you know, uh, we're losing horses to um, to to other jurisdictions to to Australia and to Hong Kong uh, and we don't really notice that you know mm. um and it's, it's this is listen this, there's not an awful lot of British racing can do about it they don't have they don't have the magic money tree it's not like they're going ah well we couldn't we could invest another few billion pounds in the industry but sure let's just say it's about the prestige um you know the old the old model is broken there and that's essentially what we've what British racing has relied on for a long time, is that you know we've got the best uh, race horses in the world, we've got the best courses in the world, and therefore people want to come here to race, which is true to a large degree, but you know there's always a breaking point, isn't there? Yeah. And people don't want to come for peanuts, um, and the only people who don't mind, um, you know, winning, as you said, winning a maiden race with a horse that costs two million quid, um pick it up 1500 pounds for it um you know are people who don't care about you know the money that comes in anyway because it's a, a drop in the ocean uh if if running your um your racing operation as anything like a business is a consideration to you then you know uh the state of the state of domestic racing is a massive concern um and yeah it's not it's not like saying you better do something about it now or they're all gonna go well, it's you know there's a there's a gradual drift away, uh, and that's why we that's why British Risk has to bend over backwards to keep um, you know to keep the likes of Sheikh Mohammed happy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and then because you know we're, we we we, we we then become deeply uncomfortable with that when you well that's, that, listen listen racing has racing has always been like the idea that we should only have nice people racing horses and have a top passport. Uh, is pie in the sky, quite it's frankly. Bollocks. Uh, it's always been uh, always been about rich people, and it's largely been about rich people trying to get one over on other rich people. Um, and if anyone's dumb enough um, to be taken for a ride, then that's always been considered to be fair game. Mm. Um, and that's that's you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't really be, we shouldn't get this bizarre notion that racing's all about the good guys. Uh, it's about the rich guys yeah. by definition a very expensive sport um and therefore you know unless you believe that rich guys are fundamentally better than poor guys um then you have to live with the fact that racing is going to have its dark secrets i i think there's a better way around this it's almost as though you ignore who owns the horse and if you feel like, like as fans we develop a connection to horses you know i've talked before about how much i absolutely love Hurricane Fly. I loved Cause of Causes. God rest him. The montage is here in the studio of his three wins at Cheltenham. Thank you, Tony Deacon, uh, one of the most loyal listeners to the Final Front podcast, uh, for sending that to me. And it's it's stunning. Um, Tiger Roll, an absolute hero of a horse. Um, Cotto Star, uh, High Chaparral. Um, the, even Star Spangled Banner, I, I had a, a real connection with because I was very excited about him going to Royal Ascot and um, just kind of knew he was going to win. Uh, and Yates, 
you know, like horses like this, we, we develop connections to. So you don't need to worry about who owns them. Just focus on the horse itself. And there, there's no point in, in us sitting here and saying that everything's fine and dandy with some of these owners. And I think you've summed that up perfectly. But it is interesting that Godolphin and Coolmore both sent horses over to this race. Um, Jessica Harrington sent her top two-year-old from last season over. And um, Joseph O'Brien sent over State of Rest. So there's, there's a lot of attention being given to America, and we still have the Breeders' Cup to come, and there's still more big races to come as well. So how many of these top horses that we have in the UK and Ireland are going to be actually rerouted to other destinations. I mean, we, we, we talked about Starman earlier on and the possibility that he goes to Hong Kong or Australia or the Breeders' Cup. And to be honest about it, Rory, that makes perfect sense. Your your logic is very sound there. So we'll, um, we'll have to wait and see. And I will acknowledge that the Derby did pay £637,000 to the winner. Um, but it's the group threes and the listed races and the smaller races. That's where the problem is. And it's not getting any easier. Uh, shall we, shall we come to, shall we come home? Shall we briefly switch from the international theme? Uh, Tarwana breeders cup hero. Uh, apparently heroin. say again, heroin, heroin, heroin. Of course I should have said that. And we're saying, Heroin, not the other thing. Uh, Cocaine. <laughs> That's what he means. Oh, there was white stuff everywhere, lads. There was snow all over the place. Uh, uh, you said something to me off air about time form and the rating of this performance, and I almost went into a fit of rage. Uh, take it away, please. Yeah, I was just noticing that um, uh, Tarnava's uh, comeback win uh, at Leperstein, which looked like a fairly um, straightforward opportunity for her. She was two zone in the Valley Roam. I see time for Rachel as her best performance uh, on, the, uh, on the figures. And who knows? That may be absolutely spot on. I'll tell you exactly what every final Furlong podcast listener is thinking. They're, when Just the second you said that, they're all thinking... She won. She won the Breeders' Cup for goodness' sakes. Um, no, in all fairness, what did you make of the performance um, in terms of the fact that it was? Look, she's there to win it. Uh, she's done it in style. And uh, the comments from Dermot World afterwards. Oh no, you can't read too much into Dermot's comments, can you? Can you? I expected that. Exactly we, we, we really expected that. <laughs> Listen, she's won. She's won a Group Three by six and a half lengths and thirteen lengths. And I hadn't really realised at the time just how far. Um, she'd pull clear of um, of the others. Um, you know, Silence Please was in front with a furlong to go. Mm. And, um, you know, for, for her to go and win it by six and a half uh, and 13 from that position on ground that wasn't terribly deep, I thought it was really impressive. Um, and it's only, sec- only watching it back that made me realise that. Because, you know, you watch it at the time and go, well, it's straightforward, isn't it? Learning nothing new here. But actually... Uh, it's it's worth it's it's worth bearing in mind um, that you don't you don't accurately rate performances 
based on what you expected beforehand. Um, you do have to crunch the numbers and uh, fair play to our friends from Halifax who do crunch the numbers. Now, I, I would say that um, it's possible for a horse to put up a massive performance um, bullying inferior rifles, um, whereas you wouldn't necessarily expect them to do that. Um, you know, you wouldn't expect her to, to run the same race in the arc necessarily. Well, well yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a damn shame she didn't run in the arc last year, quite frankly. Oh, God. Well worth her place this time around. Mm. <coughs> but yeah, what, she's, um, she's a remarkable there. Watching, um, watching it back, uh, like the fact that she's in midfield as they run the final bend, and then through no fault of Colin Keynes, she has to come wide, and she has to go widest of all. And Colin is just sitting there motionless. And once he basically, <laughs> basically once he presses sport mode, boom, she's gone. Um, arc is the plan. So what's your, what's your thoughts on her for Paris Long Jump? I think it looks a pretty hot arc. Um, I think when you've got three-year-olds um, who go there at the top of their game, it's difficult for older horses to um, uh, to concede weight to them, but she's um, you know she showed um, this time last year that she thrives in the autumn, and she's clearly been set up for an autumn campaign again. It's going to take a good horse to beat her. It's going to be. An, it looks to me like we're going to have an absolutely top-notch arc. Can can we go through the runners? Just can we just well, do a little bit of? We don't, we don't know who the runners are at this stage, do we? Well, we can we, we, can, we the... can we just do a bit of fanboy dreaming here? Right. Then. Okay, so we got Snowfall top of the market, hundred to thirty. Uh, a day are. Tarnawa is now sixes. Hurricane Lane. Wonderful tonight. Saint Mark's Basilica. Love, Mishrif. And that's ignoring any French horses. Yep. Or German horses. There's or Belgian. There's Contral. Um, in swoop has been retired, so uh, hey, uh, Betway, Betfair, and Betfair Exchange, uh, take him off the market, please. He's been retired. Uh, wipe him off the market. Come on now, Betfred. I see you. I see you, Betfred. Going twenties. Come on now, take him off the market for goodness' sakes. Um, how many of those horses do you think are actually going to turn up on the day? Um, well, most of them, I hope. I mean, Hurricane Liam almost certainly won't because he's going to go for this in Ledger. Yeah. So he's... he'd be a much he was. So he's out. So he, well, he's probably out. Yeah. That's uh, a question for Sir Mark Specifica. Um, but, you know, they'll, they'll be reasonably keen. Uh, Mishraf... Again, he's not one who missed it last year, who really shouldn't have, because oh, I'd be disappointed if he misses it this time around. Um, and it's the obvious target for love as well. I, I, I still have my my doubts about whether she's quite as good as she was last year. Mm. Um, but she's, um, you know, again, there's unfinished business with her. So, so you know, we'd like to think we see her. Wonderful tonight is is pretty much confirmed as long as she gets there in one piece. Yeah. Uh, and then you know you're struggling a little bit behind that, but there's bound to be bound to be something coming through the French trials who uh, who impresses. But essentially, um, top of the market, you've got the two 
British classic winners. You have Snowfall and you have Dayar. And they're the ones who, who head the betting. Snowfall is, is fa- outright favourite with pretty much every single firm. Dayar second favourite. And Tarnawa is now third favourite. So if you were... If Rory DeLarge is dipping into the Antipost funds right now, who are you backing? Uh, I'm, I'm not mad, I'm not mad to, to have a bet on it at this stage. Um, I think, again, with Antipost races, no one's, everyone wants to have a market to, to advertise the fact that, you know, they take bets. But no one actually wants to fight over, over prices and, and offer something above market value. So there's... <clears throat> there's not an awful lot of um, not a lot, not a lot of point of having an anti-post bet as far as I can see it. Um, I would just about favour a day or, but you know, if you price it up and consider that there's going to be twenty runners in the race and, and runners that you know haven't been considered there at all, then um, you try to price up the race with uh, with all the likely runners in it, then it's hard to argue that. Um, <coughs> uh, seven to three, four to one is, is value about anything in a race like they are. But maybe, maybe we'll scare them all off this year. Who knows? It's going to be fascinating. Uh, so it's her, it's Tawana's target. She will be 100% going there as long as she's okay. Um, it's a day hour's target. And he was, I've got egg all over my face on him. I got him badly wrong. And uh, I actually owe Rory an apology because Rory tipped him to win the King George. And I was like, there's a fluke in the Derby. Are you talking about, you clown? Why would, as, why would you say that? As, as he crushes it. So sorry, Rory. Apologies. Apologies. I apologize, Rory. Um, snowfall. Everyone knows you don't fluke wide margin wins in the Derby, <laughs> often last year's. <laughs> Uh, where is Serpentine in this market, actually? Where is he? Keep on going. Keep on going. He's there somewhere. He's there some somewhere. He's there. Oh. Well, in the arc, sorry, in the arc betting, you could have 5,000 to 1 with <laughs> Someone has battleground. Uh, there he is. 150 to 1, Rory. 150. The worst thing about him is he's not even useful as a pacemaker. No, he's terrible. He's just brutal. Yeah, that's the one thing. Well, you know, if he doesn't go the right way, at least he make a cracking pacemaker. No, brutal. No. Um, oh, it's just sad to see. Um, I, I, looking forward to seeing snowfall in the at York in the York Strokes, and um, we spoke about her off air, and I think she's she's going to be very very interesting. But I'm with St Mark's Basilica. I think he will stay, and I think he's got a lot of class. But it's a it's a hot arc this year. I have a discussion elsewhere. No, we didn't have this discussion. Name me the last horse to win the arc who wasn't proven over a mile and a half. Oh, yeah. We did, this is the discussion we had. You were you were saying to me that I think you went back to the 1960s. Maybe yeah, I was like, just, uh, just going back going, no, 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 that one over a mile and a half, one over a mile and a half, one over a mile and a half, one over a mile and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously group one winners over a mile and a half. So it's very, it's um, very, very, um, this is unusual. I just, I just, I wonder whether you've, you know, at, at what point you actually, because obviously, you know, the, the French have always, until very recently, had they prized stamina. So the um, the French Derby was a mile and a half. The Grand Prix de Paris, which was, you know, arguably uh, people now refer to as the proper French Derby. Yeah. Um, it was a huge event for them. It was a mile and seven or a mile and seven and a half. That's right. Um, and, 
uh, one of their one of their big group races at the end of the season, their staying race, um, uh, used to be three miles seven, three miles seven, not two miles seven, three miles seven, back in the good old days. Back in the old um, days, but uh, not anymore, sadly. Um, so yeah, so if you go the further back you go, the more likely you are to have horses who were absolutely proven uh, in terms of uh, of trips. So uh, yeah, th- that will be. That will be certainly uh, a stat buster. Although, you know, are they, what are they going to do with them? They're going to go international with them for Irish champion first? I would imagine Judmont Irish champion stakes arc. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> I mean, fair play. That's, you know, it's worth doing that because you're taking in two proper group ones, the horse's correct trip in the first place, if they do go that route. But, you know, it's one of those where you go, well, listen, he's won, he's won a hat full of good races. And so he was over the top by the arc. What can you do? It yeah. Nothing. Yeah. You know, Galileo, but bear in mind, Galileo never won a race after, after he took the King George. No, he was beaten in the Irish Champions Stakes and then his last race he's was the Breeders' Cup Classic. And stuff in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, but that didn't, didn't damage his reputation at all. No. Not in the slightest. People don't even talk about the Breeders' Cup Classic. Bloody Sheikh Mohammed, they got him beat at Leopardstown. Bloody Sheikh oh, Mohammed. Coming on, oh, coming over to Ireland. How dare he? Um, I, look, if they all turn up, it's, it's, it's going to be a sensational race. And it's, it's nice that Tarwana gets us onto that topic of, her, of, of this race because, um, personally, I think the most likely winner is Snowfall, but I find it very, very difficult to back her right now. And I'm fascinated by St. Mark's Basilica. I just think he's going to go there. Um, I don't see how Hurricane Lane does, but it's going to be interesting. Um, so No, if Hurricane, if Hurricane Lane does, he's, he's doing it off the back of the ledger. Yeah, and it's, um, it's going to be tough. Past, that's, that's pretty much impossible. Uh, Even so the gym. Her, her next race, uh, Tarwana's next race, is the Irish Champion Stakes. So she'll be, she'll be taking on St. Mark's Basilica, potentially. Um, so we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, we're back international. Uh, we are back international. Get your the um, German hats on, yeah. Um, uh, shall, shall we uh, head to Bavaria? But before that, Till Plus provides the biggest and best pool betting payouts available to racing fans. You know this. You know how much gravy is on offer. I was sick. Second, because I shut off, I shut down for the week. I was like, it's my best friend's wedding. Let's go. Let's do this. We're in Killarney. Phone is barely on. There's no signal anyway, so that was fantastic. Um, no face masks. Woohoo! Uh, staying in a nice hotel. Shout out to the Mockross. Um, shout out to Torides. It was really pub, a brilliant place to go. Um, and uh, just a, a fantastic week there. And um, then I look at the results, and I'm like, oh, no! Why wasn't I... Oh, you idiot, Emmett. Why weren't you betting? Uh, so I missed out on a lot of gravy. But hopefully you didn't. And uh, if you did, well, Tote Plus can help you. Because if you join Tote today, and when I say this, I'm talking about toast.co.uk, the official Tote app or Tote.ie. Sign up there. First of all, you'll get a free bet. So essentially, you place a bet. If it loses, 
Tote will refund your stake in cash up to £20 slash €20. So you're getting a free roll of the dice anyway. And if you win, and it's on a horse racing market, welcome to the world of Tote Plus. You've just got a 10% bonus on your winnings. This is just free money that Tote are giving you. Literally, they are handing you free money. They want you to bet. And don't forget that Tote support racing. Tote are putting their money back into the sport that you love. It's not going into some massive corporation's stock market pool and they're all having champagne parties like the Wolf of Wall Street. They're still having champagne parties, Emmett. Of course they are. There's nothing wrong with that, Rory. We can all have a champagne party. We do too. Probably at the shareholders' Christmas do. Absolutely. But to be fair, they are putting their money back into the game. They are supporting racing. So when you bet with Tote, you are supporting racing. So sign up. Tote.co.uk. Tote.ie. The official Tote app is available to download as well. A 10% bonus on your horse racing market winnings. We're talking win, place, Exactas, trifectas, quinellas, place pots. The scoop six. The scoop six is back with a vengeance. All there. Right? You'll see the little tote plus symbol that uh, guarantees that if you win, you're getting 10% on top of your winnings. Sign up now. Tote.co.uk. Tote.e. Or download the official tote app. We're off to Germany. Uh, we're Alpinista who Rory DeLarge has been raving about, um, lands her first Group 1. Uh, this was the plan, says Sir Mark Prescott, I'm sure with a Cuban cigar in one hand and a glass of brandy in the other. I think he's off the cigars. <gasps> and he doesn't drink brandy. Good. Well, you can do it for him. So. <laughs> thanks for crushing that image there, Rory. Thanks for, thanks for just crushing that image entirely. Uh, but go on. So... They've decided to go to Germany. Uh, they've picked up 89,000. And crucially, um, they've picked up a Group 1. By the way, uh, Aidan O'Brien has just said that Snowfall is working impressively ahead of York as uh, her countdown to the arc continues. So anyway, back to Albanista. Another winner for Frankel. Um, Frankel is crushing it in the uh, Stallion rankings this season. But uh, what did you make of this performance? We've got Walton Street in there to try and give us some kind of a level of an idea of the form. Yeah, listen, the, the German group ones are, are not strong, um, uh, comparatively speaking. And they are there for, for the taking with horses who are uh, solid sort of group two performers. Interestingly, um, Alpinista's uh, granddam was Albanova, uh, who was an absolutely smashing um, mare, um, owned and bred again by Kirsten Rising, trained by Sir Mark Prescott. She did pretty much all her winning in Germany. Oh, she won. Uh, uh, she won three um, Group Ones in Germany and was also second um, in the Prize von Europa, von Europa, uh, which she won before. So, and interestingly, um, she'd won the Pinnacle Stakes uh, before going on to uh, to Group One success in Germany. Uh, an alpinista uh, would have won the pinnacle stage, which was taken out on the the, uh, the morning of the race. Um, but she won the uh, the Lancashire Oaks instead. Um, she won that pretty easy. I, I'm amazed what price she was that day. 
remember previewing that and going, ah, should be odds on. Yeah. Uh, seven to four for that. Uh, but this was a step, a step forward uh, in form championships and proofs. So right this season, she's typical, you know, she's typical of her family. She's typical of, of Sir Mark's style as well. In that she, I mean, she she was, she looked very promising when she was second to love. That was um, straight out of, out of winning a, um, a listed race. And uh, she was, she ran a very good second to love in the Yorkshire Oaks last year. And uh, she's progressed a big chunk this time around. Two and a half lengths, she ended up winning that. Um, um, that's closer prize for Berlin. Uh, Luke Morris didn't spare her. It has to be said, but that's that's Luke Morris. No, that's just how Luke Morris uh, does it. Luke Morris is going to Luke Morris. Um, but she won. Um, she won in good style, and she found plenty for pressure. Uh, and I'd imagine she will be. I see you got banned for the ride. Interestingly, there's a surprise. Well, it's it is the interesting. It is a bit of a surprise because uh, Luke pretty much avoids um, UK bans, um, but. Uh, there seems to be an understanding that although his his action looks um, quite extreme, um, I'm, I'm guessing it's been it's been proven that it's kind of a two part whip action, which means he is although he, his his um, arm goes above shoulder height, yeah, he doesn't bring the whip straight down from there. But it's still um, it's still not particularly pretty to watch. It does. Um, it does have, look as though he's hailing a cab. Written elsewhere, he's, he's picked up bands for it. So yeah, it does look as though um, he's hailing a cab, but it appears as though there's an, an understanding between him and the British stewards. And uh, that's, that's if I was it. driving a cab and he was hailing it like that. I'd I'd speed up. <laughs> mm. So there you go. The boss, the boss has given him the seal of approval, and that's he has. Really yeah, he has indeed. And uh, and he was celebrating the 50th anniversary of his first winner this year. So. Um, he's going to be transferring his license to William Butler at the at the is it the end of the season he's going to do that? Oh, he's just he's just keeping the Butler boy stringing him along for a few years. That's the shot. That's the way to do it, Sir Mark. That's how you do think, it. I don't think he's announced his retirement, has he? No, no, he no. Just, he's, he's announced his intention. He said he said this is the first assistant he's had who he can see himself handing over to. So he's basically said he will be handing over. And William will get the license, but he might have to wait until he's, you know, another seventeen oh. years. Yeah, and not another seventeen years. I wouldn't have thought, but yeah, he might. Um, uh, he wouldn't be counting his chickens if he thinks he's getting it at the end of the season. Where, <laughs> where next for Alpinista? Uh, she's in the Yorkshire Oaks. I don't, I don't think they turn around that quickly. Uh, the, ch- the, the champion filly and mare stakes mm. is an obvious target for her um, towards the end of the season. But she will also, um, they will be looking for opportunities for her in Germany um, as well. I don't have the German calendar in front of me. Nor do I. Um, but those are the obvious. It, it makes sense, though. That w- yeah, why? given, I mean, listen, that her, her granddam, despite being trained in Newmarket, was voted German Horse of the Year in, um, I think, 2004. Interesting. <laughs> so, you know, they will, they will happily... Um, he, you know, he trainers tend to be creatures of habits, and, and trainers who've been training for fifty years, even more so. Um, so um, they will. I thought she might stay in training for another season as well, and they'll, they'll look at um, at Group One prices in, in Germany. But obviously, once once you capture a Group One, it's Group Ones all the way. That's that's the key thing. You know, when you haven't won your Group One, then it's you know you're often looking for the weakest Group Three or Group Two that you can get. Um, but once you once you make the breakthrough, you can only stay at that level or step up. 
So she's, she's won a group one now, so it's group ones all the way. Well, speaking of group ones all the way, uh, so we return to home soil. And when I say home soil, I mean Ireland. And uh, if you're in the UK, and the vast majority of our listeners are because the population is bigger, um, when things are safe, come on over. Come on over. The hospitality, uh, particularly in the southeast and uh, the west of Ireland, is just... Oh, it's phenomenal. And the views down in West Cork and in Killarney, um, the history in, in Kilkenny. Uh, why am I doing an advert for the Irish Tourism Board? I don't know, but come on over. Uh, and come on over to the races. There's a lot to be excited about. Irish Champions Weekend. It's going to be fantastic. Government, please do not do anything stupid. Uh, the Phoenix Sprint Stakes, just briefly to touch on this, uh, John Joseph Murphy is um, going to be sending... Gustavus Weston, uh, who sounds very German, to the Haydock Sprint Cup, where he will bid to do something that no Irish horse has done since 1972, win the race. Um, what's his chances on the basis of this victory in the Group 3, Rory? Uh, well, I said this was a, a career best from him, and he's, um, he's I wouldn't say suddenly improved... But he has he's um, run to a much higher level in his last uh, last few runs um, than he's ever done before, mm. <coughs> which I guess is the definition of a, a sudden improvement. He, listen, he was a, he was a group horse as a, as a juvenile, um, but he you know like a lot of like a lot of sort of sprinting juveniles, he seemed to tread water then for uh, um, uh, for a while after that. Um, and um, you know he seemed to find his level, which was basically sort of uh, Group Three listed company, mm. and not a horse. You know, horse he would pop up. You know, he would run in these races, but he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't spend too much time thinking about him. But all of a sudden, he's um, he, he's looking um, one of the best sprinters in Ireland. Um, so that's um, that's a Group Two and a Group Three now since uh, since May. Um, he finds. Plenty for pressure on both occasions. Um, but certainly, he certainly was well positioned the way this race went. But then again, you know, he's also won it by um, uh, by a decent margin. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it it can be an advantage to get on the uh, to get on the rail at the Curra. It was at the previous meeting. Um, he he doesn't he's not normally a front runner either. But he he got out. He made all the running, and he was better positioned. Um, than the runner-up, for example, but he's won. He's won by what? Two and a quarter lengths. Over two, maybe two and a half in the end. Um, and although you look through the race and you think, well, he's not, he's not beating absolute superstars in behind there. You know, it is. Irish sprinting has never been a has never really been a thing. We've only had some. Well, we've only been Group One sprints in Ireland for the last three years, isn't there? Well. Yes, yeah, but I mean, but I have it, like I have to interject and and like give massive credit to Eddie Lynham, um, and, and for that matter to Aidan O'Brien as well. Like I know that he's taken uh, former Australian horses and um, won Group Ones with them in the UK, but you know he did train the Star Spangled Banner and um, I'm trying to think of the name of the horse that I was on ITV for the day he won the Diamond Jubilee. Uh, oh, damn it, I can't remember. Um, but he's he's won that race uh, with uh, an Australian import, and Eddie Lynham has globe trotted the world with the likes of Soul Power, 
Um, yeah, listen, there's, there's, there's never been an issue with the ability of Irish trainers to, to train top-class sprinters. But um, It's the race program in Ireland for them. Never, has never deemed sprinting on yeah. home soil yeah. to be very important. It's the it's the program in Ireland. That's that's the issue. Yeah, and you and you're 100 percent right about that. Yeah, the the, the, uh, the kind of thing uh, that I took uh, away from this, Rory, was like it's it's great that they're talking about going for that, but um, surely Jack Davison is sitting back going happy days because Munista won pretty comfortably over five furlongs. Um, I think her next agenda is Irish Champions Weekend, if I'm not mistaken. They're going to run her in the Flying Five. Um, <clears throat> But it's a nice boost for, yeah, that's a, that's a running entry. Uh, it's a nice boost for her phone. It is, yeah. I mean, uh, Gustavus Weston's definitely better at six furlongs than five. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, but in saying that, you know, it is the flying five that is the um, the pearl in the in the uh, in the sprinting division in Ireland. It's the one. It is the one uh, uh, group race open to um, open to older horses. So the, yes. Um, uh, Mooney Star has to be um, has to be uh, a really interesting contender for that, given that um, she beat Gustavus Weston a length and a quarter last time out with a romantic proposal, uh, four lengths uh, behind her in third that day. So, yeah, she's um, she's uh, thriving at exactly the right time for that as well. So, um, you know, the more the <coughs> excuse me. I'd like to see that the flying five um, not just be a, um, a race that is set up for the um, uh, for the foreign contingent to take. It was sort of dominated, yeah. largely dominated uh, that way last year. But you know, there's there are um, plenty of uh, potential sprinters um, at home who can be uh, developed that way. As long as the, once the prize is there, and as I said, it's only was it 2018, 2017, uh, the flying five became a group one. I, so it takes. I think it was 2018. For, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um. And, until um. Until that, you know, the upgrading of races really kicks in. But that's a, I think that's a good thing overall for for Irish flat racing that you're you're going to have more focus on very fast sprinters, uh, and it gives all the, it gives lots of um, smaller trainers a chance as well. Because Aidan's not that interested in training five front horses, is he? <laughs> They're not exactly the. Um... They're not exactly on the on the Coolmore uh, breeding book. We'll, yeah, we'll, and, we'll put it that way. Six furlongs. Six furlongs. Yeah. Uh, I was just looking. I was actually just thinking about, about this race because uh, it's funny enough. I was there and I remember watching the race with um, Sarah Lynham because uh, I think Eddie had a horse that. Yeah, Eddie had Sophia, and um, Sarah had been on the show and was very confident about uh, Sophia. Um, and I remember turning to her at the Curra and saying, geez, Fairyland is a big price. Can't believe I'm going to let her run uh, and not have a cent on her. And off she goes and wins. Uh, one, two for, one, two for Aiden O'Brien in the uh, Group 1, Darren Stansted, Flying uh, 5, and Sarah Lynham, who will be back on the Final Forum podcast soon. Uh, but I think in 2018 it was a Group 1 uh, when Caravaggio won it in 2017. It was a Group 2, yeah. So we were right. Yeah. It was 2018. Um, well, that obviously would have happened. That would have helped to um, to convince the um, the European Pattern Committee to um, to give it the upgrade. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, um, but yeah, as I said, it's, you know, I, I, I don't want to um, I don't want to downplay um, how good trainers of proper sprinters in Ireland are. It's just a shame that there hasn't been the um, there hasn't been the um, 
the program for them. Program's not there, and and I'm not entirely certain as to why that's the case. But um, look, they're they're dreaming big. Success, with success breeds success, and once you get once you get one proper uh, group one on the calendar there, um, then the supporting races, the races that the horses um, run in uh, in preparation for that, the Sapphire Stakes, for example. Yep. Um, you know they're in line to be upgraded if they're if they're being contested by horses who then go on um, to fill the frame and the flying five later in the season. So that's how that's how the game works. Um, it can seem like a closed door for a long time, but once the door opens, there is the opportunity to, to bolster that. Um, and, you know, Eddie Lennon, as you said, has done a hell of a lot for that because he's been the key trainer of five foot horses in Ireland for, oh. for a while And I think, I think he's another one. I think he's unearthed another horse uh, that could be a little bit of a star, but we'll... We'll chat about that. We'll get him on. But anyway, listen, we're, we're looking at this. The interesting thing about this isn't so much whether, whether you think Gustavus Weston is a, is a superstar, but Joseph Murphy as Gustavus Weston, who was second in the Sapphire, and Jack Davison uh, trained the winner, who looks um, a little bit of a flying machine. And it's great to have um, those names um, in, the, uh, in the running for a big group one. Well said. Well said. Um, and Joe Lyons has got Frenetic, who bounced back to form. Uh, last time out and the horse I was thinking of is Romantic Proposal uh, for the yes. line so we'll see we, we shall see how, how those horses uh, develop uh, briefly enough uh, Ebro River um, goes and lands uh, the for, is it the yeah it is the first group one for two year olds of the season the uh, Keeneland Phoenix Stakes won five times by Aidan O'Brien in the last ten years but um didn't exactly have the the firepower for this race and uh yeah, actually can't train the two-year-olds can't train oh, the two-year-olds, yeah, what are you talking about ah, two-year-olds it isn't right now you, you having a laugh uh it is interesting that the entertainer who he talked about on the show was um a complete outsider and bombed uh but how impressed were you with ebro river and for that matter jarline's horses only only just gone down and as has go bears go who most people would have looked at and thought well, he's the likely winner, and Castle Star uh, is not that far behind. And again, he's been purchased; he was sold at the right time. Well done, uh, well done to Mister Mister Berwick. Um, he gets uh, Anthony Beck in there as well. Uh, but it's it's a three way go for the finish, and there are three very talented horses by the looks of things. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know exactly how strong the form is. Um, it was very competitive, um, and we've seen some stars when the the the, uh, the Phoenix Stakes over the years. Um, we've also seen some slightly less stellar renewals. It was it was very strong in the early around the turn of the the, the uh, millennium, um, and you know it's it's been pretty strong in the most recent years as well. So, um, it should, the issue you have with it is the fact that. Ebro River had been um, pretty comprehensively beaten in a trio of Group Two races coming into this. I mean, they were they were races as good as they could have been. Uh, you know, uh, Coventry, um, the July Stakes, and then the uh, the Richmond Stakes. And I, I fancied him in the Richmond Stakes. I was disappointed that he could only finish fourth that day. And I kind of decided that you know maybe Ebro River isn't quite as good as I thought he was. And then he pops up and does this, which leaves you scratching your head a little bit. Um, Shane Foley gave him a terrific ride yeah. because he's not looking straightforward. 
the, the, the issue with Ebro River, which is why I fancied him last time, <clears throat> was that I thought that um, I thought he was better, the, better than the result of both Ascot and particularly in Newmarket. It's a great result for um, uh, for the owners, great result for Hugo Palmer, because of course he's a he was he's a son of Galileo Gold, who's who you know was Hugo's two thousand guineas winner, yeah, and uh, who, who really took off as a two year old as well, um, and uh, was bought by Alan Shakab, you know, when they were just beginning to to um, grow their base in the UK. So he became the first stakes winner signed by Galileo Gold. Now he's the first Group One winner signed by Galileo Gold. So it's a great result there. But I, I don't. I think if you if you maybe even switch the draw around, um, any one of the first four could have won. I agree. I think you know you you give them slightly different scenario, and um, you could get a different result. Um, the second, third, and fourth all traded short and running. Ebro River traded ninety five. Uh, for a horse who's pretty much led throughout, that's a big old price because it looked like they were, they, they'd come to, to get him. And if you'd seen his previous race, you thought, well, he's going to start wandering now and that'll be him beaten. But oddly enough, he didn't wander. He looked very strong at the finish. And if anything, you look at it and thought, well, this is the horse he actually might want seven furlongs. Uh, and that might be the key to, to Edward River. Give him a proper test and he might turn out to be a, to be a better horse. But um, he's very talented. The fact that he's been a little bit wayward so far is a concern, and the fact also that he's um, got plenty of miles on the clock already is a bit of a concern going forward to next season. <coughs> to me, he looks very much a two-year-old, and it's interesting that when you look at the entries horses have, you know, they're often they've often got two or three entries. He's got eight entries, and I had a pan down to the end of this to see if one of them wasn't in the Supreme Novices Hurdle. <laughs> Um, he's in every conceivable early closing race you can see. Uh, he's, he's in the. He's had a lot of races too already. Yeah, yeah, he's had he's had a lot of racing. He's you know he won the national stakes at Sandown. He's had a proper he's had a bit of a nineteenth century um, campaign, and thus far. <clears throat> but he's yeah he's 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 in the gym crack. He's also in the Nonthorpe um, at York. That's on the same day. Um, he's been in the uh, big weatherby sales race at uh, Doncaster, um, but he's also in the uh, uh, international stakes. Vincent De Bruyne national stakes. That'll be the, the the most obvious race for me. Mm. Um, I think Hugo Palmer wants to find out if he stay if he really stays seven furlongs because he was never stronger than at the line, you know. But five with with over with just over five furlongs run, you thought he's going to finish fourth here. Um, and yet he's actually he's he's beat them off and, and won quite nicely at the line. You have to you have to consider that his position near the rail was potentially a big advantage to him. Yeah, um, but this was a much more professional performance from him than, than we've seen in his last couple of starts. So he may just be maturing. So the national stakes will be the race that tells us whether he is the real deal or not. It, it's a it's often a, a deeper race. It's almost always a deeper race than the uh, than the Phoenix. Uh, and there's this divide just at this stage of the season between precocious, fast two-year-olds who end up sort of going middle park route, a lot of whom don't train on from two to three, but are brilliant as two-year-olds. And then, in fact, we've, we've had a couple of middle park winners in the last 10 years who, who the trainers haven't even waited to see if they train on. They've been retired to stud straight away. Um, and then you have the, the horses who are going to be uh, the minors for next season who go um, national stakes in Dewhurst. And they're the ones who are just beginning to develop now and they tend to overtake um, the the speedier, precocious ones um, as we hit autumn. So it'll be interesting to see 
if ever River does go for the national stakes, um, how he how he holds up there. I think it'll be a tough one for him. Mm. But I think I think that's the that's the big dice call, isn't it? To use a John Gosden expression, sometimes you've got to roll the big dice. It um, uh, that's not as it's not as his most obvious chance of winning another group race. Um, but if they want to find out if he's the real deal, I think they should run him in the national stakes. Well, if he goes there, he will be taking on. Uh, some top class horses, including. Um, yeah, but he'll be the only Group One winner, won't he? Hey, hey, hey. Well, this is true. This is true. And also, I'd love to know where Glanthon is. Um, and I'm not talking about the place in Cork. Uh, th- that horse was brilliant yeah, on debut, are. and I would love to see where where she is. And uh, of course, uh, Glanthon has a. Um, she's owned by John Magda's mother. Um, Interestingly enough, the the ownership is then Coolmore, so the lads and uh, Mr. Vesterberg, who we've talked about quite a lot in the show because he's invested. He's not, in, he's not Mr. Vesterberg, is he? West, that's not his name. Westerberg. No, but that's not his name, is it? What is his name? I'm just named something completely different. Oh, I don't care. His his, his grandfather founded Opel. He's a billionaire, whatever. Uh, and he's got a he's German, and he has a horse called King of Bavaria, who won on debut. Love it. You just beating beating a horse called Silver Surfer, which brings us into the MCU. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, but if he does uh, turn up there, he will surely be facing Point Lonsdale. Um, and uh, where yes. where Point Lonsdale goes next will be quite interesting. Imagine the futurity. Be disappointed if he didn't turn up for the for the futurity stakes. But as you said, Rory, he'll be the only Group One winner in the field at least at that time, anyway. So we'll see what happens with uh, with Ebro River. I, I I also should mention that before that horse ran, uh, Rory and I were doing a preview with Mr. Tom Bull of Racing TV, and Tom said that he'd been talking to Hugo Palmer and they were raving about Ebro River and they thought he was going to be a superstar. Uh, he got thrashed on debut, <laughs> so it didn't quite work out, but he won his next two starts. And um, so we can give a bit of credit to Tumble for putting up a Group 1 winner on the show um, a little bit early, uh, if you kept the faith, well done. Um, briefly, Majestic Glory takes the Sweet Solaria Stakes. What did you make of that? Beating Wild Beauty? Uh, yeah, um, nice performance from Majestic Glory. I didn't, I didn't think it looked a, a, a particularly strong renewal, um, <clears throat> excuse me, off the sweet there beforehand. But um, I think the most important thing to say about that, rather than making predictions about what she's going to do, she'd only won a novice in her previous start, so it's a big step up mm. um, from Majestic Glory. Uh, owned by um, Goroid Costello. Former partner of Rebecca Curtis. Ah, I was going to say you, you've said that like I should know, and I should know. Yeah, uh, he was, you know, he was, he was the, uh, as far as a lot of people are concerned, he was the de facto trainer. But he, you know, yeah, and that was a lot of bollocks. Apologies. Sorry for the French. Sorry for the French language on the show today, folks. Apologies. Never apologize in the world of broadcasting. Proceed, Roy. Um. I think the, the most interesting thing, two things to mention about Majestic Glory. Um, you know, she's had she's had four stars. This is a step up to win a, a group three. I don't think it's exceptionally good form. Mm. Um, but you know, she's she's another daughter of Frankel who's improving with racing. Um, the two things I want to mention, David Probert having a tremendous season, wrote his hundredth winner of the season today um, at Nottingham. Class. 
Um, he's written he's written centuries twice before, I think. Um, but he came up through the um, through the Andrew Balding Academy, or even through the Ian Balding Academy. I'm not entirely sure when when David started writing, whether Ian Balding had the license then. Uh, and is still, I mean, he's essentially freelance, but he still writes a lot for uh, for Andrew. Uh, he's going to have his best season, both in terms of you know touching wood as as, as long as everything goes the way it is. He's going to have his best ever season in terms of winners and prize money. Um, he's riding out of his skin at the moment. Uh, and Andrew Balding himself um, is on target to be champion trainer. Which is... Uh, which isn't is, that, which we haven't really considered. Not, no. Uh, and and that's, mm-hmm. that's no offense to, to him. It's just that you look at John Gosden and you just think, well, yeah, he'll do it. Um, of course he's going to do it. He's John Gosden. Uh, but no, and, and it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. He's... He's a terrific trainer. He's great with the media, and um, it'll be brilliant if he pulls it off. You know, people say, "Who do you think will be champion jockey?" Couldn't care less. Um, <laughs> but you know, um, it's interesting. Breaking through his own word because Andrew's been in the in the game all his life, and his his father has been training since um, since the nineteen sixties. Um, so you know, this, this is a this is a long tradition um, there. But um, someone pointed out to me that. Um, uh, when Ocean Murphy, it was Ocean Murphy said it, when he first went um, to work for Andrew Balding before he started riding as an apprentice, there were 100 horses in the yard and there are now 230. And that's the sign of a trainer who wants to be champion. Damn right it is. Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of trainers right there who are, you know, pound for pound, as good. I'm as good as anyone in the business, but, you know, I only want 40 horses. If you look at Vincent O'Brien, who, of course, was multiple champion trainer without ever having more than 40 horses. Yeah. Um, but if you want to be champion these days, if you want to be breaking records, you need to have 200 plus horses to do that. So it's very, I, I hadn't really noticed um, quite how many horses there were um, in the folding yard, but that really shows the ambition of the man um, that he's been sort of happy to carry on family tradition for, for a fair while and gain his share. You know, he's, he's won classic races, um, he's, but he's having, this, he's having his best ever season this year. Um, and it's just kind of crept up on me that he is now has to be considered as one of the biggest trainers in the country. So like normally when it comes to this, and I know you were saying that, we don't really care, uh, but you you are thinking of, you're thinking John Gosden is the name that comes to mind, first of all. You're obviously thinking Edna O'Brien because of the firepower he sends over. Um, Mark Johnston because he's got a million runners each season. Uh, Richard Hannon has to be in the equation and he's done it before. Um, and, and of course, Charlie Appleby. Uh and yet, there he is. There's Andrew Balding with, uh, what is he currently on? 2.9 million, nearly 3 million pounds in prize money. And fantastic stuff. It's just- uh, and and um, the, the other remarkable thing about him, turning out the winners, is if you back them all, you'd be miles in front. Um, you know, if you might, you, you know, um, if you might Mark Johnson sources this season to a tenner, you'd be losing 2,694 pounds 80. Jesus. And you'd even have calls a gam care there. Um, but if you buy it, if you had a tenner at SP and all Andrew Balding's horses this season, £771.30 in profit, which is absolutely remarkable when you consider um, that however good a trainer you are, you know, your horses aren't, they're not aren't, they're not always placed to win races. Exactly. And to be able to get that kind of result, he's, he's, been, um, he's been tremendous uh, this season, Andrew. 100 winners from 533 runners this year and uh, as we're recording today he's had two winners including typewriter who um, 
Oshin put up on the show. Oshin talked about. Watch out for typewriter. So um, yeah, that horse has come out and won. So uh, another two winners for uh, for Andrew. Yeah, Andrew this is all the metrics you look at uh, make him look very good. Uh, <clears throat> here's an interesting one. Go talk to me. Um, percentage of winners to runners. Aidan O'Brien in the UK this season. Yeah. Fourteen percent. Right. Seven horses one from fifty-one horses to run here. Wait, how many? Now, that's won? fair enough. You right. Seven. S E V E N. Okay. Andrew Balding, fifty percent winners to runners. So we're not talking this is not strike rate, this is the number of horses that you're running that are actually winning races. Damn. Um and you rarely see trainers churning out um runners at the rate that Andrew Balding does and still be producing um, a percentage like 50%. Um, there's no one in the top dozen in the table who who um, who can beat that figure. That's insane. George That's... Bowie is the first trainer um, in the table who's got a better percentage than that. That That is... That's insane. Uh, I wish... I, I really wish him well. I hope he does it. I think it'd be fantastic for racing if he does. Um, I know sometimes we're... You know, we don't really care who champion owner is but the champion jockey and champion trainer titles do fascinate me and it'd be great if Andrew Balding does it and um, I think you summed that race up perfectly Rory uh, we'll very quickly talk about Fox's Tales because I have two foxes here in my home yeah um, um, that was the rules of Lancaster wasn't it that hated mm-hmm. um, a race that up quite badly with, uh, with An- non-runners another Andrew Balding winner by the way another Andrew Balding winner in the uh, in the, the King Park colours um, and he, he grinded out quite well, uh, Fox's Tales. He didn't look like winning for a long way. I think it was the first horse, you know, niggled along in the race by Sylvester D'Souza. But he found for pressure. Um, it was a slightly messy race in in, um, in that um, the jockeys spread out. Um, I can't think who, who it was who came right across to the um, the Sandside Rail, which wasn't a, wasn't a benefit. You, you want to race up the middle at Haydock, really. Um, but I don't, I don't, he didn't get the run of the race because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't able to to make his move before one or two others. He was, you know, he had to be niggled along, as I said. So he's he's grinded out. He's he's um, he's looked game. Um, clearly suited by a um, you know a test and the conditions, and I don't think it was, you know, with the ground close to heavy at that stage. Mm. I don't think it was the strongest contest you'll ever see. But another good another group one a group winner for um, Andrew Balding in the season. So. Yeah. And they're all going towards that title. And a three-year-old group winner for Zoffany. Take that, Jess Stafford. We'll be, we'll be back on the show. <laughs> uh, the Zoffany's don't train on, do they? They don't train. Those Zoffany's don't train on until, of course, <laughs> one wins the 1,000 guineas. Uh, Jess, uh, we'll be back on the show oh, soon. The and Michaels is- are too headstrong to stay. <laughs> Jess is back on the show soon, and she is crushing it on racing TV. Uh, hey, Rory, you know what I love? An expensive racehorse. 2.1 million guineas for half it. Oh my goodness. He comes out, Rory. It's his debut. The pressure's on. And he wins. He wins, Rory. And the talk is he's an exciting horse. He makes a winning debut. It's a massive headline in the racing post. There's just one problem that I have with it. One. I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't impressed. And two. His entries are the Royal Lodge. That's it. 
Yeah. They haven't got him entered for the yeah, national stakes. Like, he's not in the Dewhurst. He's rubbish. Godolphin don't mind uh, with all with the vast resources they have supplementing their horses for big races. Um, but yes, we, yeah, but we they don't. About, they don't normally make that. that mistake, though. Uh well. Uh, I don't both of them have, have, have they got anything entered in the arc? I think I think they've got nothing entered in the arc, Emmett. Uh, but hang on now, and are are there actual entries for the arc? Yes, there are. Okay. Yes, there are, and I don't believe that either Hurricane Lena or Day are are actually among them. Well, I could that, be wrong there. That should be wrong. But as I said, it's not it's not massively unusual for uh, for Godolphin not to uh, um, not to to have them entered up on mass. Well, it's not. Um, it's not like Sheikh Mohammed is stuck for cash. In fairness, no, exactly. So anyway, let's listen. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting point to make. Um, but yeah, just I just sort of leaven it with it with the idea that he he looks he looked a nice horse. I thought the I thought the reaction to the win was over the top. Um, uh, agreed. In, agreed. This was this was not the performance of a horse. You, you're going. I can't wait to see this in a Group One. It was a likable performance. Um, he dug deep, having looked beaten, um, but I think the second and the sixth should both have beaten him. Um, and I think he's probably a stare. And I think the, it's interesting that they've got him in the Royal Lodge, which is the one early closing race beyond seven furlongs at the moment. Mm. Uh, he might do you a lovely favour there, Emmett, and um, <laughs> one of the Zetlands, which you love. Oh, I love the old Zetland. Yeah, I just yeah. the Zetland produces. Don't forget, Rory. The Zetland <laughs> produces Derby winners. Can't be denied. There was um, there was a notion after this race that um, uh, you know he's um, he he was in need of the experience and he's done well. He's knuckled down really to win it. I I listen. Look at the record of Charlie Appleby newcomers um, compared to most trainers. You're much less likely to be green and in need of the race um, coming from the Appleby yard than you are from, with most new market yards. Um, and I would have thought it was a newcomer's race, wasn't it? Yeah. I would have thought the, the runner-up will improve a fair bit for the run. And the horse that finished sixth, he looked sure to win with a furlong to run and then stopped as if shot, um, is either a rogue or will improve enormously for, for that run um, to stop that quickly. Or, you know, a, a horse with a physical problem. I thought I thought it was probably um, a, a, a lack of fitness uh, from him because a lot of the yards horses... Um, Come on, plenty for a run, for a first run. So I thought if you ran the race again in a fortnight's time, he might not win it at all. Um, you know, and he's a he's a nice horse. I just think he's you know I thought it was a bit strange. You know, you're doing a, a review of the of the weekend when you've loads of group racing going on, and you're looking at this horse who's who's run about two stone below that form, and you want to rave about him because he costs two pounds. He's from a lovely family. Mm-hmm. He's from a lovely family, and as yeah. I said, he did not race. He kept you know he kept straight. He stuck his neck out, and you know, he he had every every excuse to to jack it in with the furlong to go when he was passed. Um, but he fought on really well, and he will clearly stay a mile. <clears throat> I just suspect he's going to be a really nice um, stayer. <clears throat> sorry, sorry, Rory. <clears throat> I just uh, I had to clear my throat there. I've just uh, <clears throat> I've discovered something, Rory. Um, oh my goodness, I can't believe I found this, um, Rory. You're wrong. What about about the arc? Godolphin have entries. Uh. <laughs> Military march for Sidebin Sorora's entered there. He's number nine. 
So, Godolphin, my friend, do have entries. Not necessarily the entries we'd expect, but they have entries. All the right horses, (laughs) just not necessarily in the right races. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, imagine. uh, There's another one. Hurricane Lane entered. In (gasps) what? In the Ark. Oh, right. Okay. Master of the Seas along with him. Oh, Rory, it's all falling apart on you. Rory. They are entered. Is the day are entered? Uh, I don't see a day are entered, to be the fair. One is, is the one that's going to win the arc entered? Uh, let's have a little look here now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome along to the... Also, where are you getting your, uh, where are you getting your entries from? France Gallo. Who was? France Gallo. Uh, uh, France Gallo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the place to get them from. Welcome along to the section of the show where we scroll through the MacBook Pro, which might I add is a delightful experience. Um, something about the way Apple make their products that just makes you feel good as you're strolling on through them. There's old Max Sweeney entered. We've got Hurricane Lane. Up, up, um. We're coming close. We're getting there. Bolshoi Ballet is entered. If you want to take an old chance, roll the dice with him. Um, oh, there's the Hype Horse High Definition. Van Gogh. Hasn't Van Gogh been sold? I think he has. He's gone to Hong Kong, hasn't you're he? Thinking, you're thinking of the sunflowers, aren't you? <laughs> the painting. Uh, Rory DeLarge, a day hour is not entered. If you Google. There you go. A day hour is not entered. But, but, I get one over on you because Hurricane Lane is. Um, yeah, I wasn't that impressed at half it either and we're basically both going to crap all over him and and that's Kate Tracy has just fallen over in shock because she just assumes that because the horse cost a fortune I'm going to go obviously Rory he's going to win the guineas next year how how can you not back him Um, alcohol free 60-40 to go for the Jumont International talk to me Uh, I'll talk to you next week when we're we're previewing (laughs) the the racing at York and find out whether alcohol free has actually been been, uh, declared or not do you think it's stay Uh, yeah Jeff Smith said he was. Like, I, I don't think Andrew Balding wants to run her. Mm. Jeff Smith said after she, um, after she won the the Sussex, that he would like to go for that race, which he's won before, of course. Uh, and he's very sporting, and he would like to take a chance. But you know, I, I was wrong about her. I didn't think she'd stay a mile on her pedigree. She shouldn't stay a mile. Neither did I. I thought she just she just about last at home in the Fred Darling. I thought and she just didn't stay a mile in the Guineas. And then it looked like she didn't quite stay a mile in the Guineas. Um, but Oshin was convinced she was just on the uh, on the wrong part of the track. She wasn't she wasn't quite a hundred percent in the day, and she's shown herself to be an absolute star since. Um, <clears throat> so it, it'd be an interesting one. But I I think a mile an extended mile and a quarter, so mile two and a half essentially. The international, I think that's asking too much of her. Yeah. And I think Andrew Balding deep down, you know, wanting to be champion trainer and all that, will want to. Uh, the sticker in a race is going to win. <coughs> On the other hand, you know, if it ends up, if it looks like it's going to boil down to a three-horse race, you might consider that as suddenly becomes a, an interesting, um, an interesting option if you can control the pace. Yeah, there's. That the, says, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if she's declared, and then we can discuss her chances. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a completely pointless discussion. It, it is a pointless discussion, but at the same time, listeners are going to be betting on it, and. Um, well, don't bet now. That's that's well. That's yeah. highly recommended. Yeah. Um, but I mean, when you look at the market, she's what she's been cut into tens. Um, Mishra for second favorite. Obviously, St. Mark's Basilica has the betting. Love is in there. Uh, Palace Pier. Pile driver. 
Max Sweeney. Pile driver is a proper horse that uh, that actually I think we owe William Muir a bit of an apology because we didn't talk about him for the arc and uh, mm, potentially should have gone last year. Should have gone last year. Yeah, he blew his chance last okay, year. Okay, well, whether, whether it would have suited him or not, I don't know. Yeah, I think it would have. Um, they, had, they had the they had a tough choice. Um, in order to get into the arc, he would have had to have run in the Grand Prix de Paris. Was it the Grand Prix? Oh yeah, it was because of Good COVID. Instead yeah, of right. Grand Prix. Um, they won the Voltature. Yeah, so right, yeah. you know, it's hard to say they made the wrong choice there. So, <clears throat> and he ran that cracker in the ledger, despite the fact that he's not really a. Um, he don't sit. stay, son. He don't stay, but he's uh, back in great form this season. Uh, speaking of great form, Nicola Curry in Dreamland is the headline of the Racing Post after winning the Shergar Cup. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk. First, first of, say again now. You don't give her the cup. She doesn't get the Shergar Cup. No, she gets the Silver Saddle. Yeah, was the Silver Saddle is it not a Golden Saddle? They should make a Golden. Yeah, make a Golden. Come on, yeah, Ascot. Yeah, Ascot, we love you, right? I think you're the best race course in the world. Make it a Golden Saddle. Go on, do I it. I think there's been there's been a little bit. There's a suggestion that um, uh, the girls' team, which they renamed this year, fair, fair play to Ascot, they, they, they've renamed it wrongly. But they decided that referring to the team as the girls' team um, was a bit condescending. So they call it they called them the ladies' team instead, which is condescending for different reasons. <laughs> so women, um, yeah. Or as I've always said, you know, you don't you don't need to have a, a, a women's team. You 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 invite the women along and you you spread them around, as it were. I mean, in this year you had some. Um, uh, the, the issue they had with us, they couldn't they couldn't get all the foreign jockeys they would like. Yeah, um, because of this bloody Rona. So everyone had to wear a false moustache and pretend they were from France <laughs> or Italy. <laughs> Sacre bleu! Where is my false, um, false moustache gone? And listen, the Shogar Cup is 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 fine. Is is a, a, you know a fair summary of it. Um. Nice to see Nicola Curry get um, uh, get uh, her moment of the sun there. Well said. She's a she's a very good jockey, um, and she deserves like a lot of jockeys who deserves better chances than she gets at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, she does get them. She's very good. Um, as uh, as one wag said, um, it's hard to think of too many. <laughs> She must be one of the best female jockeys to come out of the island of Arran in recent years. Uh, or words to that effect. Uh, from Chris Cook. Thank you, Chris uh, Cook. Yeah, she is a, um, she's a fine rider. And it's always nice to be reminded that, um, you know, when you have the, a competition with, with an international element, um, and often the international elements don't cover themselves in glory, <clears throat> uh, it's good to be reminded of the, uh, of the homegrown talent. Um, as well, there is this notion. I think Chris mentioned it as well that the, the girls try harder. I, I don't buy that. That's a load of nonsense. They've got more to prove. So well, if you're if you're getting paid um, top money to come across and ride um, at Ascot, and you're not really trying that hard, um, then someone has to ask some serious questions. Yeah, you're in the wrong business. Look, if you want to take part in this and you're not trying, then there's something seriously wrong with you. And look, there's a couple of things about this. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Haley Turner and to Nicola Curry. Um, I think it's 
brilliant that they've won this. And uh, you will remember, Rory. Sammy Joe Bell. And of course, of course, of course Sammy Joe. Sorry, apologies. Sammy Joe, I apologize. I profusely apologize. Uh, so Sammy Joe Bell, Haley Turner, and Nicola Curry, who was riding in the Sugar Cup for the first time. I think she was a late call-up. Um, yes, because... Um, uh, Holly Doyle had to ride with Haley. That's right. And look at what Holly Doyle is doing. Uh, do you remember a debate, Rory, uh, on this show when someone was suggesting that uh, female jockeys should be given a three-pound allowance or a five-pound weight allowance? Yeah, yeah a load of all nonsense. Absolute nonsense. bollocks. Absolute uh, nonsense. Thing, you know, um, bizarrely enough, in 20 years' time, we'll, we'll be having a, a completely different discussion. How do we stop the women from taking over? Yeah. But that's the that's the whole point. Like the the um, fitness trainer for someone was pointing out there was a, there was a meeting in Sweden. Um, I think it was in Sweden, certainly in Scandinavia. Um, one of the Nordic month, countries. All the winning jockeys were female, and I thought, oh, this would be one of those because they had they had they used to have a meeting at Bro Park, which was a uh, uh, for women riders only, and I thought oh, it's going to be one of these where um, it's not actually it, it, it's this. Uh, um, uh, female riders meeting, in which case, obviously, all the all the winnings winning riders are going to be female. But it was a standard card. But the interesting thing about that was that I would say eighty percent of the jockeys riding were female. Wow! So you know, it was an open meeting. All every jockey who was based there was, um, you know, uh, was available to ride, uh, and you still had. 80, 80 might be pushing it a little bit, but certainly the majority of jockeys riding um, on this card were uh, were female, and they won um, all seven races on the card as well. And that's an interesting one. Um, uh, again, we're stuck in the past. We talked about British racing and its, and its attitudes to um, its superiority. Uh, we're stuck in the past and in this stupid notion that women aren't as strong as men, therefore they're never going to be as good as them as jockeys. Uh, and other jurisdictions are getting away from the idea, especially you know in Scandinavia, um, they're um, they're less keen on the whip. Um, Ooh, they're less, less hung up on this notion that uh, uh, strength wins races. Strength doesn't win races. No, uh, you know strength occasionally wins races, um, but strength used incorrectly loses more races than it wins. Yeah. As as Bill Brewmaker, um, one of the greatest American jockeys, who was about three foot tall, um, that's a bit harsh. Um, famously said, he said there are there are a lot more horses whipped out of the frame than whipped in the frame. Mm, interesting. Uh, you know the the idea that that you know that a really aggressive um, ride uh, would somehow enhance the chances of your horse horse getting placed. It just isn't true. You know you'll see you'll see the occasional ride where you know where a horse is is you know with flailing whips. Will come through and grab a place or win a race. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're reminding me. You're reminding me of Tony McCoy. Exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, uh, without without the use of the whip, and I'm, this is I'm, this is not a diatribe, an anti-whip diatribe. No, 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 it's no. Because we're, we're, we're we are definitely the final forum podcast is definitely pro Kush pro. Uh, but pro, like, pro yeah, um, we're, we're on, yeah, you, you there are plenty of races where you see a jockey just giving a horse a really good ride who finishes really fast and gets up on the line without having to resort to to the whip. Whereas you get these, you know, you see vintage um, footage of, of Lester Piggott going rat-a-tat-tat. Bang, bang, um, bang. 
by a short head and you go, well, you go without, the, without the whip, he wouldn't have won. But actually, you know, there are scenarios where, yes, without the whip, you wouldn't win. But there are also scenarios where if you just put that whip down and get your horse balanced and running forward, you're going to win this race. But you're unbalanced, your horse is unbalanced. And because you're obsessed with strength, you're losing races you should be winning. Well, the thing I thought that blew that whole, um, oh, female jockeys should be, the only way that female jockeys will be able to succeed in the UK and Ireland is if they're given a three or five pound weight allowance. The thing that blew that whole argument out of the water was Holly Doyle's personal trainer, who works with other jockeys as well, saying her core strength is stronger than the male jockeys that he works with. And um, I thought that was an incredibly important thing for him to say. But also, when you look at Holly Doyle, look, everyone's going to make mistakes. But the way she places her horses, like, tactically, Holly Doyle, nine times out of ten, is in the right place. Uh, She has her horse tactically in the right place, where that horse should be. And if it's good enough, the horse will finish where it should, whether that's third, second, or win. But rarely Holly Doyle is making a mistake. And Nicola Curry and, and Hayley Turner as well and Sammy Jo Bell uh, all deserve huge amounts of credit for having great tactical minds. But they also do have strength in the finish if they need it. And if you think about male jockeys, yeah, there, there is strength in male jockeys. But male jockeys have to starve themselves. They all have to starve themselves. So you know, the idea that women couldn't succeed is just it's utter, I'm going to say yeah, the word again, it's yeah. utter bollocks. And I'm, and I'm thrilled. The one thing I'll say about the Sugar Cup is I'm thrilled that this happened because, again, it highlights how, how well women can succeed in racing, whether it's as a trainer or as a jockey. You can succeed in this sport, all right? We need to just knock off this bullshit about gender barriers, all right? It's all, yeah, it's all nonsense. However, here's the thing I'll say. I'd completely forgotten the Sugar Cup was on. I'd totally forgotten it, and I hadn't watched it. Um, the crowd was okay. Uh, it wasn't great. And there's talk that Ascot are looking at revamping it. Um, so what is your view on the Sugar Cup as a whole? I, I think there's, there's a place for something like that that um, creates a carnival atmosphere that gets people to come racing and... Um, as a day out in which the focus is on the horse, is on the racing, but it draws new people in. So it does something slightly different. So you're basically there to watch what's going on. It's not a lot of the promotion of racing in the last God knows how many years has essentially said, come racing, bugger the horses. It's not about the horses. You're gonna, you're gonna meet your mates and have a drink and we've got a Ferris wheel. You can go on the Ferris wheel. And Calvin Harris saying, is live after yes, racing. Horses. Don't worry. Come racing, get drunk, maybe you can punch a horse. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You actually need to have an event where basically they say, we're oh. showcasing sport for you. We're doing it in a way that's really accessible. We're making sure that... They see, Cheltenham had the right idea uh, when they redeveloped the track. They constantly said, the focus has to be on the parade ring. Yes. That's should be looking and that's the way so they redesigned the race course so that everyone's looking at it. the only downside to that is really the parade ring should be in front of the stands uh, but at least they did enough that they're drawing people out of the grandstands onto balconies onto um you know 
uh, walkways and viewing areas where you're making the parade ring the focus. The problem with making the parade ring the focus, of course, is that for most of the day, there's bugger all going on in the parade ring. Mm. So what you have to have is a meeting where you basically said, right, there's where your entertainment is, as you would do at a concert or whatever it happens to be. You don't say, right, there's some horse racing going on here, but don't worry, there's the big stage. That's where the entertainment happens. You basically have to say the parade ring is where the entertainment happens, and then you create entertainment in the parade ring um, where the horses are the, are the focus um, for the races. But at least you're drawing people in. You'll have something beforehand. You have them, and they have cheerleaders and stuff, um, which is good. It's not my idea. It's not my cup of tea, no. but it shouldn't be my cup of tea. Is It should be how do you get people along? How do you get them watching the most interesting thing, which is the, which is the horses pre-race and post-race, but also give them enough where they're not going, well, what's going on now? There's nothing, nothing happening. Um, you have to have something happening to draw them in. You have to make that a focus for them through the day, draw them in, um, give them something to, to, to concentrate on. And the Shanghai Cup is good for that. Um, what they're not interested in is the team aspect. Um, and what yes. nobody needs is the stupid colours. Yes. So what you want to have is essentially an international jockeys challenge. Yes! Now we're talking. So it's an ind- so it's an individual trophy. You have you have an award for you're not going to get international horses running. And that's the issue you have. So it's, it's so it has to be a jockey thing. It can't be it can't be trainers and horses. Um but you basically make it about the jockeys. You, America, you, Ireland. You have a race card which is free to everyone you don't grind saying right it's 100 quid to come in and also six quid for this race card which is which again um never ceases to baffle me that you charge people a bloody fortune i went i took um i took friends to newbury um the other day and we had a really good time they said it was the best day they had racing in a long time not knocking newbury at all for this um but the fact is you can pay 200 quid for tickets and then when you turn up your ticket doesn't doesn't even give you the names of the horses who are running at the meeting. It's like, oh yeah, we thought you just wanted the champagne. If you're if you're bringing people to the racing for the love of Christ, give them the names of the of the stars. Give them a bloody race card. Yeah. For free. Don't think how do we make a few bob more out of these people. If you're charging that amount of money, give them a fucking race card. It's not because that much to ask. What, that's what's selling the sport to them. Yeah. And and think about it when they come to your race course. Get them immersed in the experience, not immersed in the beer, immersed in and and racing is a terrific day out. We bought I got tickets um, for the parade ring lawn, or the paddock lawn as they called it. So it's by the owners and trainers area, by the owners um, area but right in front of the parade ring. So you just get out of your seat um, on the lawn and you walk five yards and you can watch the horses in the parade ring. And you can see them in the pre-parade and it's putting the horses at the forefront. Brilliant. But again, not being able to identify any of those horses because you haven't paid extra for it is just unbelievably short-sighted. Yeah. And you, you, know, you, can, you can actually charge them for that beforehand that's the thing. You can just basically say, right, well, it's costing us a pound for these race cards. So let's just add that onto the price. But what's what's happening? The idea that we're still using race cards as a way of, of gouging customers is just 
incredibly self-defeating. It, it genuinely is. And it's an incredibly frustrating thing to think that, because I'm now remembering bringing friends to Leopardstown in 2019. And there was, it was Irish Champions Weekend. There was one, Joss was the, uh, was the only one who actually knew anything about racing. Um, the, the women who were with us didn't. And um, we we go through the turnstiles, we're into Leopardstown, and there's someone there, you know, with the race card. Uh, and um, <laughs> my friend Sarah went to take it, and the girl's like, oh, no, 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 it's, it's two euro, or whatever it was, four euro, five euro, whatever. And she's like, what? Because even the way the person was holding it, it looked like they were just giving them away. And yeah. I don't understand how, like Sarah didn't know anything about racing, right? She knew nothing about it. The first thing that we did was go to the bar. Um, but I made a point of showing, look, that is the parade ring. That is the camera area where when you're watching the TV, you're watching the presenters, that's where they come from. That's the weighing room. Um, walk them through. And after we had one drink at the bar, I brought them out to the stand and they became obsessed with racing. They just were, they were going nuts. And they didn't want it's, tips. It's, they, they wanted to back horses based on their, based on their horse, the horse's name or the color or yeah. whatever, you know, or the number of the horse. And that's fine. I didn't, you know, that's, I, I was laughing and joking with them about that. And I think actually they made, they made more money than I did. But, you know, they had a brilliant day out. And it wasn't because uh, Damien Dempsey was playing a gig afterwards. They were loving racing and loving the sport. But I remember the next day thinking, what if that group was a group of people who didn't know anything about racing and had paid the money that, that they'd paid to go in there to get access to the facilities that we were getting access to? And you're being told, oh, no, sorry, it's four euro for, for that race card. And when you get there, you're kind of a little bit lost. You know, at least at at Ascot, they have people who um, are in very fancy regalia. And uh, you can just ask them. And they're all incredibly kind people. Just say, sorry, can you tell me where the King Edward VIII stand is, please? I'm doing a show there. It's like, yep, there you go. And there's a sign, Final Furlan Podcast, Cheltenham Previous. Oh, bloody hell. Uh, That's cool. Um, uh, but you know, there's people. Really what they would say is, did, did, we don't talk about Edward the King Edward the Seventh was it? I can't remember. I, 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 it's getting late, where I can't remember. But the the point the point I'm making is that they have people there who are who are there to assist you, and um, we need to to encourage more people to come racing. We've just had this massive fucking lockdown, which has depressed all of us. All of us have been affected by this in one way or another. And now we're getting the opportunity to actually go out. And so racing has an opportunity here to do this and do it right and, and do it really, really well. And I don't know what... I, look, I think Oshin Murphy made the point in the Racing Post, there wasn't a whole am- amount of promotion of the Sugar Cup. And I didn't see much promotion about it on ITV. I didn't see them pushing it too hard. And I know they've had their issues with, with Ascot, but, you know, get over it. Um you're you're recovering there. Get over it. Uh, Sky have it as well. That's the way it is. Move on. Um, and 
I, I, I honestly knew nothing about the Sugar Cup. I, I completely shut down uh, my phone. All, all it was was just being focused on the people that were was, that are around me and the people that I really care about and having a great time. And I just was, I had no clue. I knew the Phoenix was one. I knew that the uh, Primorice de Geest was on and I knew I was going to watch those races back. No idea the Sugar Cup was on. It just wasn't, it wasn't registering in my brain. So and and never if, know who won the Sugar Cup Classic. I'll never know. And if I did know, if I, if oh, I, if, yeah, if it was, if it did come into my brain, I didn't care. I didn't give a, I didn't give a monkeys who, who won it. It didn't matter to me, but I am delighted Gosh, that the, that I am delighted that the women's team won. I'm delighted that they did that for, for a number of reasons. It proves how good women jockeys are. It proves that they can uh, succeed in racing. And um, it's also, it's also fantastic for the sport. You, that, like, I know that we're in the middle of the Olympics and the transfer rumors are going around and the Premier League is about to come back and you know, we're in this very, very tight space. But TalkSport are about to... We're doing some stuff with TalkSport, which I'm pretty excited about. And they're going to invest a good bit in, in racing. And look, we'll see how it goes. But I'm, I'm excited about that. This show, thank God, is doing incredibly well. And that's down to you, the listeners. I can't thank you enough. You're, you're all amazing. Um, but you know, did you go? Did you watch? Let us know on, on social. Did you go to the Sugar Cup? Did you even care about it? Did, did it matter to you? I'd, I'd love to know that. DM me. Let me know what you what you thought. At Final Furlong Pod, at Radio Emmett. But I didn't. You clearly didn't. But hey, well done, Nicola Curry. And finally, as we conclude this edition of the Final Furlong Podcast, and thank you very much for listening. By the way, if you're listening, as you drift off to sleep tonight, just remember that the Final Furlong Podcast would appreciate a five-star rating on whatever podcast app it is that you're using. Isn't that right, Rory Delarkey? Who am I talking? Exactly. And you know you want to do it. Just do it. It helps the algorithm. Um, every time I go on YouTube now, I'm getting these, these uh, headspace ads and various different things, and it's always some famous actor. Hi. I'm a famous actor. And I'm going to help you get to sleep tonight by reading a story. Ugh. Anyway, uh, speaking of, there's a, and I think this is fantastic, there's a film on mental health awareness and online abuse in the world of horse racing, which is going to be airing on Sky Sports Racing on the 10th of October. Um, 10th of October is World Mental Health Day. This is also going to be broadcast in Australia, and uh, direct from the Racing Post, uh, it is dealing with the aftermath of a high-profile final fence fall and aims to raise awareness of mental health within racing as well as the impact of online abuse. The 22-minute movie is co-directed by the acclaimed actor Robert Bathurst. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, Robert Bathurst. Is it Robert Bathurst? Robert Bathurst. Bathurst. Who the hell is Robert Bathurst? He was in Cold Feet. Remember Cold Feet? Oh, come on. Is that the, the blonde guy? Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. I've got him now. Oh, very sad fellow is, uh, is Robert. He owns. Um... He's a racing fan, isn't he? Big, he's a big racing fan. Yeah. yeah, good, yeah. good man. Owns... Sorry for butchering your name there, Robert, but to be honest about it. I don't know if he owns shares in Midland Park racing horses, or there's, there's at least two Midland Park horses have been named after characters from, um, from a show he did. Okay. Uh, which suggests an involvement. Um, and uh, 
Nathan. Toast of London, if you want to watch it. Say, Toast of London. Oh, man. My wife doesn't like it, and that's the highest praise I can possibly give. (laughs) Rory, it's Clem Fandango here. Can you do that again? (laughs) Just with a lower tone. No. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. I have to say. Hi, Rory. This is Clem Fandango. Can you hear me? <laughs> Sorry, that, wasn't- that, that is indeed correct. Yes, that, that is indeed. To get the joke properly right. Hi, Rory. It's Clem Fandango here. <laughs> can you hear me? Every single time. Yes, I can hear you, Clem Of course, course I can. Uh, right. This is, I think this is a great idea. Uh, I congratulate the guy. I think Barry could be the man to play Cornelius Lysert in the story of his life. Say again now? I think Matt Berry could be the man to play Cornelius Lysus in the movie. That's line. not a bad shout. But if we get back, if if we get back to the, to the topic, because we're going to wrap uh, wrap up. Uh, Rob Rob Dakin, who is a really good guy, he's the head of uh, Sky Sports Racing, and um, look, Sky Sports Racing can just run U.S. racing um, and uh, and sit there in the studio and tell you what horses are running in Del Mar and in Oakland lawns or whatever the hell. And um, maybe Pete's on there, uh, in which case you definitely should be watching it because he's crushing it at the moment. But they can just air French racing with Laurent um, and, and constantly churn out betting content for you. Right, That's what they can do. But instead, they have decided to do this film. And I think that's a great thing. And I think it's a great thing that it's going out on Sky Sports Racing and that it's not going out on Sky Sports Main Event. It may very well do because they might want to put it on there to reach a larger audience because, as Simon Holt pointed out the other day, there ain't too many people watching Sky Sports Racing. But hopefully uh, a lot of people will, will watch it for this because this is an incredibly important topic that you cannot highlight enough. And uh, the Sir Peter O'Sullivan Charitable Trust is the film's title sponsor. There's also financial backing from the Professional Jockeys Association and mental health charity Even Keel Foundation. Um, Rory, your thoughts on it? Named after that excellent team chaser, Even Keel. For those with long memories. Oh, well done, Rory. Um, yeah, I, I, listen, this is, this is by definition a good thing. Um, the, the, and there's an awful lot more focus on, on mental health and racing now than there was uh, even a year ago. Mm. And that's a good thing. My only concern long term is that um, doing something um, of this ilk will be seen as a, a box ticking exercise um, by a lot of people in the sport. You get, you know, it's um, uh, it gets you support. You appear to be doing the right thing. You know it's the kind of thing you should be doing. And it's go tick, marvellous. Uh, and the key is not just being seen to do something, but um, to genuinely want to make a difference. And to you know, and we're still scratching the surface uh, with mental health. And and the biggest issue is just saying, you know, if you're feeling down, talk to someone. Yeah. Um, or you know, speak to someone you haven't spoken to in a while, and maybe they'll they'll be vulnerable, and your call mean mean an awful lot to them. That's all very true. Um, but we're still, most people who suffer mental health issues don't really acknowledge that. 
or even don't realize when it's when it's uh, beginning to become an issue for them in the first place so we need to be able to break through that to make are, are, that you, are you suggesting essentially that it's like if it starts to happen to somebody who may very well be listening to the show right now that the attitude taken is that had never happened to me despite the fact that the world feels as though it's pushing down on your shoulders and crushing you and you just feel small and insignificant and you read something abusive you read nine things that are complimentary you'd read one thing that's abusive and it's that one thing that just you focus on um but you don't recognize even though there's so much talk even though you're talking about it right now i'm talking about it right now that individual still doesn't recognize that's them we're talking about you we're talking to you and we're trying to help you but yes and, 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 you have you know, to come forward again, yourself and we shouldn't think that we're always talking about other people either um we need to we need to um to make that whole conversation easier yeah. um for for everybody so that again it's not a case of um as tends to get to, to be brought up virtue signaling it's not it's not a case of saying the right thing yeah being on the right of an issue it's about realizing what a growing issue this is and how we need to make it an everyday thing we need you know it can't it can't feel like a um like a secret it can't feel like something we can't talk about and it's all very well people saying you can talk about it in that slightly condescending tone and um you know i'm here for you but you know it's really it's really really tough to to, to be told you know, if you ever need to speak to someone, I'm there. Um, making that breakthrough is a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot that needs to change for, for you know for most of us uh, to to turn that into reality. So I'm not I'm not criticizing um, the movement in any way at all. No. Uh, it has to be an ongoing movement. That it's not just a case of saying the right thing and you know. Again, proving that you are fundamentally a good person by saying we shouldn't bully people, we should be nice to them. But it's not easy. It, it isn't easy once you get into the nitty gritty of that, because when you talk about it as an issue, you always imagine a, a very simple scenario um, that here's someone who is entirely innocent, who's just doing the best they can, and total strangers are, are you know, are bullying them online. Very easy to see where, where the right and wrong of that is, but there's an awful lot of grey areas, and there's an awful lot of scenarios where, um, <clears throat> you know, it's not it's not always easy to uh, to um, get the picture of of someone being a victim. You know, that's not that's not always straightforward. You know, so the idea of us kind of idealising this as an but absolutely talk to this lonely person or this person who's feeling or this person who's been bullied but those scenarios are not always as easy as they seem i can talk here for an hour about how important it is to, to support people maybe struggling and then i might just walk straight past my next door neighbor tomorrow and not give them a second look you know and, and where does that put me in the grand scheme of things yeah and it doesn't matter what you say if you're not doing anything um and it doesn't help to imagine scenarios that are easy to deal with in your head when in real life um the people that you should be talking to um are people that you struggle to talk to 
Yeah. So, you know, don't pretend this is, you know, uh, an easy solution or uh, a conversation that's always easy to have. Um, be prepared to back up what in real life every day. Um, and also, you know, do not, never be afraid to admit that in the scenario where two people are having a chat, you're not necessarily the one who's doling out the good advice and being the good Samaritan and being the support. You know, you often need that chat just as much as the other person, more so um, in a lot of cases. So, you know, be prepared for other people to um, uh, to minister to you, if you like. I think that's a great point. The one thing I would add to that, um, and I think you've described that eloquently, is if it is extremely difficult to step forward and say, I I need to talk to you. You know, can can I can I talk to you about something? And sometimes you're actually better off not talking to friends. That's why um, things like the Samaritans exist. You know, they are there and they will help. Um, it's amazing how talking about something will actually get it out of your system. It's amazing how how that helps. But if you do have genuinely strong family and genuinely strong friends um, and you feel as though something is not quite right, talk to them. You know, don't be ashamed. There is no shame in this. That's all gone now. Right? There's, there's no taboo to this anymore. All right? We've, we lost so many people over the years because no one would talk about it. You know, I, I, I remember... I remember Rory will probably remember similar stories. Oh, uh, he had an accident. He was out in the field with a gun and he had an accident. And and that kind of stuff went on when I was growing up. And it's only later in life you realize, oh shit. So that first step that you make is an incredibly difficult step to take. Because it's a step to acknowledging the fact that you've a, that there's something wrong. And acknowledging that something is wrong is not easy. But it is what you have to do. You have to do that. Um, and if, God forbid, you do the worst, it's the people behind who will constantly ask themselves for the rest of their lives, how did I not see it? Why did I not see it? Why didn't she talk to me? Why didn't he talk to me? What was what was going on in that person's head? And that's with them for the rest of their lives. That's what you do if you do that. So it's it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And Roy's a hundred percent right. I'm delighted they're doing this. I think it's great they're doing it. I applaud Rob Rob Dakin. I think. Rob is one of the best in broadcasting. Rory is absolutely 100% right to say, I hope this is not a box-ticking exercise. I don't think it is, but he's 100% right to call that out and say that. That being said, that being said, <clears throat> when all of this is said and done and we watch this and we look at the abuse that jockeys get and the abuse that, that we get, um... At the end of the day, we're all human. 
our minds work differently. You know, I don't think the same as Rory. Rory doesn't think the same as me. And neither of us think the same as you. Our our minds process things in a different way. That's just the way it is. That's that's humanity. And if there is a problem, if there is something wrong, take that leap, take that step. Um, reach out to a friend and if you don't want to do that reach out to the Samaritans and hey once you've reached out to the Samaritans then you can reach out to a friend and the the best advice that I could possibly give you and I know it's really difficult in these times is your GP your GP is the best person you can talk to the best because they will listen and if it means that you have to be prescribed something fine but You'll do a session first of all, and then. And hey, if you are prescribed something, I felt shame. I felt ashamed. I remember picking up the prescription in the in the chemist, and I felt so much shame as Trish was handing the handing the bag over to me. I remember thinking, how am I going to tell my girlfriend? How am I going to tell my mother? And when I told ma'am, she went, oh, thank God. Because the eyes, your eyes have been sunk into the back of your head. You just haven't been yourself. Um, take six weeks to kick in. And once they do, it's not like it's a, wee, everything's fine. But it is a major help. A major help. And talking's a major help. So, um, Rory and I can't say any more than that, really. There's nothing more that, that either of us can say other than, I hope this documentary is great. I think it's a brilliant initiative from Sky. I applaud them for doing it. And if you are feeling that way, reach out. And it doesn't have to be to a friend. It can be your the Samaritans. It can be a mental health charity. It can be a support group. It can be your GP. But talk to someone. Because if you don't, the damage you'll leave behind, not worth thinking about. Right. Horse to follow from the weekend, Rory. Give me one. Give me a horse that we're putting in the tracker. Who are we going for? Oh. Looking for something good here now, Rory. Come on now. Just Hubert. Oh dear. He's he was very genuine. <laughs> did you know did you notice that Just Hubert had won at uh, at the Shergar Cup? Um, upstairs. I, I only I only noticed uh as I was rewatching the races this morning and I went, Oh my god, I so hope Rory tipped that horse and backed that horse. Uh, by the way, Nicola Curry on board as well. Well done. Um yeah, eleven to one. Eleven to one. Um, hey, it was my decision not to do a weekend preview. I was off getting hammered with my friends, so um, what can I say? But yeah, uh, okay, just Hubert makes sense. Um, <laughs> where, where would you like to see him next, Rory? Um, he'd have a go at this is Arwich again. I would have thought. You know, he's getting. Um, uh, he won't be too badly handicapped on the back of that. In fact, I should know exactly what he's what he's on now, actually. After that, but let, you know, 
the question you've got to ask is whether whether Goodwood was one of those things because um, he just he just wasn't in the mood to line up, and you know plenty of scenarios where jog, where horses won't go in the stalls, um, and you don't you, you think no worse of them for it because it doesn't appear on the ra- on their race record because mm. they're just non runners. It's it's wiped from the record, but obviously in that scenario where the starter was determined that he was going to you know he was going to call him a starter, um, then um, you know. He looks like a villain for doing that, but he was absolutely fine at Ascot. Um, he is slightly tricky. There's no doubt he's a little bit tricky. Um, and, and, and in that regard, I thought Nicola Curry, Curry gave him a tremendous ride because uh, all the jockeys have ridden him. Obviously, he took the piss out of Ray Dawson at, at Goodwood. Um, and uh, as I said last season, I thought he took the mickey out of Holly Doyle, which is not easy to do. Um, PJ McDonald did no tune out of him in the, in the Cesaro, which last year. But, you know, he, he dropped a mark of 87. He's gone up to 90. So he'll head into um, he'd head into the, uh, the Cesaro, which if he, if he goes there, of a lower mark than last year. And that makes him quite interesting. Okay. Uh, for all. I mean, in fairness, the problem with the Cesaro, which is it's a bit of a Mullins fest, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you look at the anti-post betting and it's like, hmm. Hmm. There's a lot of... Yeah, there's, there's a lot of Mullins horses there, um, which, you know, I don't, I, yeah, we just have to try and figure out which way he goes. Um, he but, ran at York last year, it didn't run particularly well at the Ybor meeting, but I wouldn't, that's not really history. What he wants is a, as, as a reasonable test of stamina, and he got that by um, by actually making most of the running at Ascot, um, which was, I, I, you know, he hasn't done before, he's, he's come from off the pace. Uh, in recent times, but I thought, you know, he, he actually came out the stalls and he was traveling sweetly and Nicola Curry did the right thing, moved him up wide, got him handy. And then, you know, when the pace wasn't going, uh, you know, when the pace wasn't holding up particularly well, she sent him to the front and that, that was absolutely ideal and he looked perfectly happy doing that. So they may just change the tactics with him a little bit because he's vulnerable in these two mile handicaps where they don't go much for pace and they sprint because he's not well suited to that. Um, but if he's able to actually make a bit of his own running, then that's a different kettle of fish altogether. Uh, I'll give you a son of Galileo, trained by Joseph O'Brien, Tosiju, uh, who ran at the Curra on Sunday, um, ran in handicap company. He's very, very lightly raced. Um, this was his first run back from a break. He'd been off for 107 days. Um, I think they backed him into, yeah, they did. They backed him into favoritism. Uh, and he was not beaten far, so Tosiju, T-O-S-H-I-Z-O-U. He shaped really, really well, and um, I think they'll, uh, I think they'll end a touch with him. Um, but yeah, that's our take. That's our take on the weekend's racing, and that's it done. Uh, so Rory and I are back on Thursday. Um, I'm doing some stuff for Talksport, so we'll be recording a little bit later than normal. Uh, but don't worry, the podcast will be coming your way. And Rory will have all the gravy for the weekend. Dishing out gravy left, right and centre alongside the inform Lucy Russell Hughes. There's going to be gravy all over the place, I'm telling you right now. Why am I speaking in a British accent? I have absolutely no idea. But my good man Rory Delaghi, I would like to say to you, fantastic show. Well done, my friend. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I look forward to Thursday. Thank you, sir. And to you, thank you so much for listening been an absolute pleasure uh, do hope you've enjoyed it and um, 
I do hope that you take the mental health conversation that we've had seriously, because I genuinely mean that. Um, you know, not to be on a, not to be on a downer, but look after yourself. Seriously. Um, but that's it. We're done. We out of here. Um, I'm off to drink a lot of Coca-Cola and uh, watch 911 Lone Star, which is absolutely class. Uh, so from Roy Delargy and me, Amish Kennedy, thank you so much for listening. We will chat to you on Thursday alongside Lucy Russell Hughes. Uh, remember to check out TalkSport 2 on Thursday as well. And don't forget, when you're placing your bets, oh, it's got to be with Tote. Get that Tote gravy. It's there. If you're not getting that Tote gravy, I don't know what to say to you. Tote.co.uk, Tote.ie, or the official Tote app. Tote Plus, 10% on top of your winnings. You are mad if you don't take that. Have a great week. See you Thursday. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Think you can't get better value? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Tote Plus at Tote.co.uk.